When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, SCP fans. My name is Gregory Carpin, and this is Simply Creative People, the show about SCP creatives, be they authors, artists, or off-site content creators like YouTube and TikTok. We're focused on bridging the gap between various fans and serving as an introduction to different concepts and stories on the wiki. So, many welcomes to all, and let's get started. So, hello, and welcome to episode six of Simply Creative People. I'm Gregory Carpin, and I'm joined by Master. Uh, uh, I'm Harry Blank, as far as you know. <laughs> and we have a guest today. Hello. Introduce yourself. Uh, I actually have a list uh, that's comically long. <laughs> you have a list of who you are? <laughs> yes, I, I am, uh, of course, the creator of Three Portlands, the director and co-creator. No, your of name. Book. Start with your name. Oh, well, okay. All right, fine. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm Green Wolf. I'm the creator of Three Portlands, the director and co-creator of Third Law, former physicist, currently in law school, noted wearer of hats, sworn enemy of the Canadian <laughs> Senate, Time Magazine's 2006 Person of the Year, winner of the most likely to be, winner of the most likely to be mistaken for a furry award, and of course, maker of overly long lists. Excellent. Oh my God, this is going to be a good episode. I am feeling this. All right. Uh, so. You, you know, you already basically explained who you are, so that's good. Uh, why don't we... I, I like to do it where I, I kind of want to know how everyone kind of got started with with SCP. Do you, do you remember how you discovered it? I do, actually. It was through TV tropes, uh, of all things. That's uh, common, actually, I find. Yeah. Um, and then I just... Uh, I ended up in the IRC chat uh, and got to know some people... Uh, Twisted Gears, who no longer writes for the site, but back in 2015, he was a a big name at the time, sort of mentored me a little bit and encouraged me early on, and that kind of motivated me to be a better writer. Uh, A lot of... I I don't think I would be the writer I am today. Certainly, I would not be writing at the level I am if he hadn't given me that initial push to strive to improve and live up to his expectations so i i want to shout him out for for that and uh we will be talking about some of his stuff today i believe yes 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 we will yes yeah i mean i had a similar situation it it was not through tv tropes but when i did find myself actually in the community um in a lot of ways it was Lieutenant Flops and Rounder House who kind of like welcomed me in and was and treated me, you know, as as a human being as opposed to just a white name that showed up and said, "I I, I want to be a writer." I think we all have uh, certain mentor figures. I'm Harry's, of course. Yeah, of uh, course. <laughs> not true. Uh, yeah, my mentor was the, uh, the the death of the IRC. The fact that the IRC uh, was so sparsely attended that I had to go to the SCP Declassified uh, Discord to find out where the authors were actually hanging out. 
and oh, uh, how we all enjoy being part of the Discord. Yes, we do. There's never any drama, never anything that goes wrong. It's just it's it's perfect from start to finish. I'm I'm, I'm a oh. junior moderator on it, so I should probably not be saying it like that. Well, my, uh, so- my hat is an emote over there, which was a sure fun is. was a fun discovery when I came in. It's like, hey, hold on. Yes, do you want to tell Wait, do you want was- to tell a story about your hat, Green Wolf? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's not that interesting. Oh, I think everybody loves this story. Come on. Uh, Okay, so for a while, (laughs) uh, I mean, I I use this hat as my avatar profile image in a bunch of different places. No longer on Discord, but uh, most other places. And so I had it on my author page, and I did not and have not released it under the Creative Commons license. I was... You know, making a person. <laughs> I was making a personal use exception, right? I was allowing myself to use it on my author page, uh, and there's reasons behind why I wanted to do it like that. But, uh, anyways, um, there were reasons behind why I wanted to do that. But um, the licensing team was not a huge fan of that. They, <laughs> they, um, even though the Creative no. Commons license allows it, they don't want you to have stuff on the site that's not CC, uh, even right. if you have it permission for it so i was like okay and i just removed it from the author page but um some people found this kind of funny yeah yeah it's it's become a sort of a copy past your uh, your statement that it's it's my fucking hat i believe is, is how you phrased it yeah <laughs> i do not release to it to be fair to be fair it is your hat you do not own the trademark that's represented on that hat i do not know but it is it is the hat that i wear i am actually right. wearing it currently Yes. And it does make a lovely emote. It does. So when you came into the Discord, because I know you weren't there for a while, because I, I remember we we used to chat uh, occasionally in IRC, but then um, I didn't ever see you on the Discord. And then when you came in, was the emote already there? Yeah, it was. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, well, you ca- you came in with incredible good grace into SCPD, and I was very impressed, and I remain very impressed at how you how you handled that. Yeah, because yeah, I could imagine, you know, being a little bit off put, but that's that's good, you know, kind of a good attitude about the whole thing. Yeah, well, I try to be aware of my. Uh, I know that there are things that that irritate me more than they should be, and I try to be aware of that and just go with the flow yeah i mean oh harry harry knows all about the stuff that irritates me more than it should because he's the one that has to hear about it yeah i get a constant stream of invective from gregory about all the things that annoy him um but it's not constant i'm not a monster he, he does sleep yeah um but the interactions that authors have and the little events and spats that we have all end up being part of a sort of metal layer of narrative that everybody knows about and the hat is just part of that it's just part of our collective patrimony of of arguing with each other. Yeah, the, the fun community stories uh, that don't actually end up being part of the wiki is just... It's just so fun. Well, I do hope that a hat is not all I will be remembered for. It will be very difficult no, at this I'd... point, considering how much you've written. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be a problem, don't worry. Uh, so you had a pretty fun idea about, you know, as... With every episode, we've been doing uh, sort of content creation, explaining for people how we come up with ideas or make articles or whatever. And when we have video people on, we'll be talking to them more about their video stuff. But seeing as how we're all three authors, you had a good idea about uh, once you have an idea and the process of refining it. And I thought, you know, if we each had like an example of how we went through that process, that would be a good way to start. Uh 
Yeah. So, GW, you wanna you wanna start us off? Um. Yeah. I, I guess since it was my idea. Um. Oh, I just like putting people on the spot. <laughs> totally fair. Um. I mean, the, the big thing is, and I always tell people this, is that ideas are cheap. Um, they are a dime a dozen, and it all comes sure. down to execution. Yeah. I have a, I have multiple text files that are just bullet points of random ideas I've had that I will never get to, and I just stick them on there so I don't have to think about them. Um, so it's really important to actually refine and think about the idea and how you want to execute it. And uh, I had another mentor here as well, uh, Random Mini, who wrote the Cool War series, yeah. uh, which is one of the best tale series on the site. Uh, but he kind of helped introduce me to the idea of refine, refining ideas. Um, and probably the best example of this is actually the uh, Unicorn Horn article that I wrote a few years back. Uh, Random Mini basically came in and handed me the entire... Like, I had the idea of Unicorn Horn as some kind of pharmaceutical, and Random Mini came in and was like, okay, that's interesting, but let's take it to the logical extremes right let's look at this and all of the consequences and what it can mean so if unicorn horn restores virginity retroactive retroactively what are the implications of that <laughs> it's an assassination tool it can be used as a, it can be used as a pesticide you know there's uh, all these different things that could that it could be used for and then also look at not just the effects but also what are the incentives there then so suddenly MC, marshall carter and dark you know, start selectively breeding unicorns to get more horn, <laughs> more horn production out of them, and then that's not enough, and so they start, you know, genetically modifying them so that they are just covered in horn growths, right? So you oh take you, you take this on its face pretty simple premise of you know unicorn horn is a, is a pharmaceutical, right? And the idea there is basically linking the association of unicorns with you know virgin, virginity and things like that and so you say okay you know instead of unicorn horn being an aphrodisiac like you know you know people have believed you know rhino horn things like that are aphrodisiacs what if it is the opposite of that <laughs> so uh and then you go from there and you just kind of build on a little bit at a time and just it, it is all about like, taking an idea to its logical conclusions figuring out not just okay here's a cool idea but what are all of the little ancillary <laughs> ideas that branch off from that? Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good way to think about it, honestly. Especially when it comes to SCP and, and and weird fiction, because you know any idea that any of us have ever come up with, there's something else that's done something similar. It's all about how are you going to put your own spin on it, and that seems like a really fun way to do it because a lot of people don't take a, an idea to the logical conclusion yeah. necessarily right um i mean another way to think of it as well too is you know your core idea is the what but you should also be looking at the questions of why how who you know these these things right how is it yeah. being done what it, why is it being done who is doing it you know so why you care about it that, yeah. that is the one that always gets me is why do i give a shit like me as the author why do i care about this yes. enough to write about it Yes, why, why should I, as a reader, care about this? And why yeah. should I, as an author, care to write about it? Right, exactly. Harry, you want to go next or you want me to go next? Yeah, I'll go next. You can go last since it's oh. your house. You have to be a good host. Um, that's a good segue, actually, because what I want to talk about is recognizing when you've got a discrete idea in the first place and then figuring out what the extent of that idea is. You talk about um, not wanting to 
leave something on the table, but when do you decide that an idea is done? When do you decide that it's big enough? Um, and I can actually track how one of my ideas came into existence because the progress of it through my mental intestines is actually visible on the site still. Um, when I did my first SCP, I didn't want to replicate that trope of, we don't know where this thing came from, which is a good trope and it works, but I didn't want to do it. And I also didn't want to go, here's precisely the origin of this mystery and take the mystery out of it. Those are both valuable approaches depending on the story you want to tell, but I wanted to take the middle route and be subtle. To be like, look how clever this new guy is, which um, mileage may vary on that. But I suggested the existence of a materials handling disaster at the site I was developing, which is then implied to have created the subject of the SCP as a side effect. And then when I did my second SCP, I again referenced this event and added a new wrinkle that the disaster happens every year in exactly the same way because the materials involved include <laughs> magic timey-wimey crap. And at that point, something clicked, and I realized that's an SCP idea. This thing I've been circling while writing other things, that's an idea. The disaster itself is an SCP. And I thought, all right, well, okay. A disaster. How do you make that a story? What is interesting about it, aside from the fact that it happens every year? Well, the fact that it happens every year is a neat fact. So maybe if I screw that cap on tighter and, and make it a neater idea, what if it isn't just that the event recurs every year? What if the time frame of the event, that specific period of time, is the same every year now? If, if, if that one hour in September of 2002 is the same hour every year forever, and if you do anything differently in that hour, all of history is retroactively changed to account for the change. And I thought, okay, that's kind of interesting. It... it it um, it allows me to uh, to come up with something I can actually talk about here. It's a timeline altering disaster potentially, and and that made it interesting enough that I could write about it. And then that's when scope creep just smacked me hard in the face because I've made this incredibly dangerous because it alters reality, and um, because we know that it alters reality, obviously it has happened before, and we've managed to fix it. That means people have seen these alternate timelines, and it means that they're bad alternate timelines. So I'm writing this SCP, and what it is, is a detailed description of just how hilariously wrong things go when you're processing esoteric <laughs> junk and it explodes. That's the thing. It's about people getting turned inside out, and strangled by translucent orange tentacles, and getting turned into biological rope, and getting dry mouth. But then there was this epic thing. <laughs> dry mouth! <laughs> don't do a list unless the last item is going to completely subvert the list but then there was this also good advice <laughs> yeah it's always good advice gw did that in his intro um but that's what it is it's this crazy materials handling story but then i had this epic thing about people living in five different distinct hell worlds which was attached to it and that was ballooning out of all proportion and i went okay We'll do like a series one style thing. This can be an addendum. This, not even an addendum. This could be a, a supplement page because we used to do those a lot. And then the timeline supplement ends up being 12,000 words long. And I show this to Caspian too, who was a critiquer who was working on the site at the time and amazingly agreed to actually read this entire thing. And I got this incredibly conscientious, brave, I would never be able to do this response. The addendum didn't really work, so just published the SCP without it. And I woke up to that one morning, the imperative to shelve 12,000 words. And I'd gotten so into the thick of this thing, I couldn't imagine. How can it work without the supplement? Anyway, I took the advice and posted the thing with just the illusion, the illusion to these not yet declassified reports, and it actually worked. It 
worked really well. It did well. It was my first really successful article. It ended up being the bedrock layer for what became a canon, On Guard 4.3. This is the first time Gregory's hearing that it's not called On Guard 43. Um, because I, yep, I, I could... That's that's very strange to me. <laughs> it's a reference I'm not going to bother explaining right now. We'll leave that as, as a cliffhanger. Um, I, uh, I, I've been slowly working through, through, through it. Uh, not nearly as quickly as you went through my stuff in third law and i feel kind of bad about that but uh it's it's very good you guys should all go read it if you haven't i much appreciate it but i think you're actually ahead of me i think you've now read more of me than i have read of third law and i'm going to correct that um because again third law as we've said before is also awesome um it's really great but anyway just to kill this storyline off (laughs) so we can go back to uh, uh complimenting each other (laughs) Um, because I took the time to drill down into the details of the characters and the event and the site and the madness without having to spend all that time with that huge-ass supplement, um, it worked better without it. I I realized that I had two completely different ideas, and they worked well independently, but one of them would have sunk the other if I'd stapled it on there. And now that huge-ass supplement is finally eventually going to see the light of day, but as a whole tale series, it'll probably be like two novels long to actually do justice to that content. So the moral of the story is the longer you roll an idea around your head, the more you're able to figure out what its proper shape is, distinguish between the elements of what's one project and what needs to be its own discrete separate project, because feature creep's a real thing, but if you let it creep along long enough, you can get a few extra products out of it, and nothing you write is ever wasted, even if it takes you two years to get back to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a really important thing to, like, look at the product, you know, even before you're at the draft and, and decide, okay, this is what I'm moving forward with. The other stuff that I have is useful, and I will keep that for something. Um, but knowing when, okay, now it's time to pull the trigger on this thing. Yeah, there's sort of an element of triage involved in <laughs> writing anything mm-hmm. where, and there's two approaches to take to it, and I, I've used both of them at different times. There's the maximalist approach where you just write down everything you can think of and then, like, sand off everything that does not is not needed for the core story that you're trying to tell. Yeah. And that can work if you aren't really sure where you want to go with an idea and you just want to explore all the different options and then figure out which one works best. And then there is the more minimalist approach where you know immediately what you want to do and you just hone in on that and ignore all the other options. And that's actually what I did in uh, 5525 that you guys talked about a few weeks ago where uh, there's sort of a fake out in there where it looks like it's being set up to go into you know an exploration log of yes. uh, Atlantis. But no, it. it's, it's entirely about the naval battle and I knew that was the story I wanted to tell immediately. And so I just did not care about the... Uh, anything else and it works yeah i love uh, it does work i like it a lot obviously if you listen to the goc episode i did speak its praises pretty loudly we both did i i do love the fake out um in that article and i've like made an entire goi out of the fake out where uh like victim is entirely me going oh what's an interesting weird cursed media thing okay, cool, we're going to describe that pretty minimally, and then I'm just going to throw it away because I'm just going to start talking about what's on the videotape because that's all I give a shit about. Right, you find the thing that made you interesting in the first place and you find the excuse to make that the main thing because the thing you're interested in is the thing you'll write the best. Right. Yeah, I, you know, I wanted to talk about 
you know, along these same lines, my first article, because it's probably the one that has undergone the most changes from original conception to the final execution. And if people have read it, which is SCP-4612, um, you might, if you look at the finished product, be able to recognize the thing that I'm going to describe it as it originally being, but it is pretty different. And originally, I had this idea of an abandoned World War II era like OSS adjacent uh, organization that was like dealing with the uh, anomalous and weird shit. And it was basically just, you know, at least on this thinnest layer, kind of a ripoff of the BPRD, if anyone's familiar with Hellboy. Um, but that really wasn't the point. The point was what was in this bunker, which was the literal remains of the Judeo uh, God, uh, like his body parts and whatnot, and how that affects everyone around them. Uh, and then the, the guilt, because it, it, it doesn't make you crazy, it doesn't turn you into a monster, but it is this, like, ever-pervasive sense of, like, guilt uh, <laughs> that, like, sticks with people. Um, and, and the further the exploration went, which was describing what was in this bunker, the more the people that are uh, exploring it are, you know, being confronted with... Uh, sort of their past sins or or, or regrets, etc, etc. And I can't remember, and I'd have to go back and look, and I don't even know how to find that post. For the idea post, um, came to me and was like, do you really want to talk about, like, the body of God? Like, that's a really big idea for your first article. Um, and, you know, it's kind of been done in some ways. Uh, and I think this person meant well, but was basically saying, you know, I should shelve it and do something else and instead what i did was i took the core emotional thought process of it and then just like threw away all the drapings and it turned into a 18th century occultist who killed a god and all the ramifications of it afterwards um and you know is all and is still very much about regret and uh and and sort of the consequences of people's actions but became this whole like discussion of the industrial revolution and the fact that the reason it worked out the way it did was the death of this alien slug thing <laughs> that is awesome and i don't think i've read that one yet so i definitely want to go it's, read it now yeah i it's a good you one. know it's it's I can look at it and say, oh, I would have done this a little differently now because I'm so much more experienced, but I won't rewrite it because I think that it is a nice snapshot of like my early time on the wiki. And it's really, I'm very pleased with it. I don't think it's a failure by any means, but like... No, it's a really highly rated. Yes, it is. It's in the 200s. Yeah, I, I, I definitely get that, uh, that... That, that whole thing, that is a mood, as the kids say, I, I think. Um, because <laughs> they, my, they do, my yeah. first successful article was literally Hollywood. And uh, I, looking back on it now, there's a lot of stuff that I would change and that I would do better. It definitely suffers right. from some, some problems in ideation and not really honing in on a single core idea. But, you know, it's done well enough for itself and... I have enough stuff that I still need to write. I'm not going to go back and George Lucas myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that, yeah. that is a lot to do with why I don't. Like, people have suggested, well, you could change this. And I'm like, I could. 
but I'm not gonna because not only is that a snapshot of that time period and also like you said I have other shit and other projects I want to work on but also it was because of the way that it worked out it turns into this fairly cinematic discussion of the events from two centuries prior and inspired me to write like I think there's 20 articles in Hecaconsideries now um, which is not done yet and I really gotta finish it but and it's 20 articles both scps and tales you know that all came out of this thing and so it's like well i'm not gonna change the beginning of it yeah. now if you uh... yeah see mine's the same way because my first one did the same thing right. for yeah. on guard four three and um my 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 solution to that was because i did want to rewrite rewrite it was to turn it into a, a list pages article oh, and yeah. to hide to hide a rewrite in it that i can link elsewhere if people want to read a better version of it, uh, which is a, a nasty trick to play. But also this reminds me of something I read in the uh, introduction to uh, some academic monograph I was reading where they were dedicating it to all the people who'd helped them write their idea and then at the end they said, and to the person who told me to give up on my idea and start over, start over yourself, I'm done. <laughs> and at a certain point you gotta yeah. say that. <laughs> no, this story is finished, I'm doing new things if, now. If you, if you keep yeah. living in the past you cannot move forward. Right. Exactly. And I think that there's something to be said when you show your body of work. You know, when I suggest people read my series, I think there is something very interesting to show the humble beginnings, although it was a very ambitious yeah. first article, to be fair. Not just tooting my own horn, but it, when you look at other people's first articles, I feel like I shot for the mood for some reason. But You did. Um, you know, you can still see, well, how not only the characters within it, but the overall concepts of the world that I was creating like developed. And so to go back to it now and change it seems like almost, I don't know, not, not a betrayal, but like it just feels like, no, no, I'm not doing that. But it is interesting how it turned into, you know, it was a very tropey thing when I first started. And at the end, I'm something I'm really proud of, uh, that the core idea is like completely impossible to look at except for it still had to do with you know the death of god sort of only now it was more of a tone slash like uh theme to it instead of literal there are a lot of articles about the death of god on this site uh there's there's like <laughs> well, there's at least three just within third law you know i mean <laughs> to be fair uh it is a subject that comes up all the time not only in philosophy f- fiction you know, God, how many Japanese role-playing games have I played where the end of it is you <laughs> ascending to heaven and killing quote-unquote God? I mean, so, you know, I think it's a common trope, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have its place. No, it's, yeah, I, I definitely enjoy it. Speaks it speaks to people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Kill your gods. I'm almost an anti-theist at this point in my life, so. Yeah. <laughs> but we are not here to talk about such lofty matters, but a much more grounded... No, we just talked about the... We just talked about the value of moving on, didn't yeah. we? So there we go. Uh, Segway. We're... I interrupted your segue to make mine instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so quickly, quickly discover my job here is not to make his life easier. But just keep the show interesting, which is all that matters. Um, so we are talking about something that is much more grounded than we talked about the last time, the last two times, because we're going to be talking about mm. the UIU, the Unusual Incidents 
uh, unit. unit of the FBI. And I thought as an intro, I would read something from, I think, your most recent article. Uh, or No, no, it's not your most, because you just submitted something. Yeah, I've contest, written like but, three things in the last week. Right, yeah. But this was fairly recent, yes. uh, and it's called The Falcon's Flight. And I just wanted to read sort of the beginning of it, because I thought it really frames the UIU in an interesting way. So there are two versions of the Unusual Incidents Unit. There's the publicly acknowledged version, the FBI's UFO hunters, the Bureau's embarrassing in-joke, where the dregs and cast-offs of federal law enforcement accumulate out of the way where they can't do any damage. That, that version only exists to conceal the existence of the other UIU, the shadow DOJ, the Department of Justice, responsible for the entirety of the American justice system behind the veil. Tasked with implementing and enforcing all of the para-policy of the Domestic Security Council. This UIU hunts UFOs too and arrests the aliens flying them, prosecutes them, and imprisons them in an inescapable supermax facility designed to contain hostile gods. This UIU is entrusted with policing and protecting the largest paranormal enclave in the Western Hemisphere. This UIU directly deals directly with the paracriminal class composed of supervillains and monsters and does so under the legal restrictions of due process and habeas corpus, restrictions that organizations like the Foundation would falter under. The UIU is a force to be reckoned with. Yes, I love that. It's really good. It's a really good intro to the entire concept, but I also like that it was, I think, basically the beginning of that tale. Yes, that is the, yeah, yeah, it's that first is how the tale opens, and then it dovetails into describing Wizard Swat, basically. Right. Yes, that, the rest of the tale um, quickly exceeds the quality of that already fantastic yes. introduction. But the reason I, I think I sent that introduction to you, Gregory, in the first place is because yeah. I like how it talks about both versions of of the UIU as they exist on the site, the incompetent and the competent, and meshes them together yeah. like that. Yeah, so sort of a I, s- super canon. So anyway, go no, on. No, but I, uh, that that's really the good point is that there is this concept, and I'm going to go a little out of order. I'm a weird Type A person, but apparently I'm betraying my own outline. But there <laughs> is the sense of, and this is a common trope, especially on the earlier articles that deal with the UIU, where we you know people are ui useless right where they are these fumbling buffoons or incompetent or under uh underfunded and not taken seriously by the american government and so they're always the ones that the foundation has to step in to clean up their mess basically i find that to be a boring trope and it was something that you and i g will gw when we were starting to talk about you coming on where I think we were having this conversation where it's a very common trope that like GOIs that are not the foundation uh, <laughs> are automatically, at least at first, kind of portrayed in this bumbling manner. We, we talked about how the GOC in the yeah. early stuff was portrayed in that way and, and, and how the early Sarkics, if you go back to the first episode, were just a group of evil cultists. Mm-hmm. And then if and if they stick around long enough, meaning enough writers uh, contribute to them, that sort of trope kind of goes away. It's why we'll never do an episode on the Chaos Insurgency, because that never happened with them. Uh, well, we're, we're working on yes. that. But, uh, um, well, fine. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to borrow a term from TV tropes, it's the idiot ball, right? You give another character right. or group, right. you know, you make them act like buffoons and maybe un- excessively so to make your good guys look smarter and stronger and better. So, and that's, it's a very lazy way of writing. There there are better ways to make the Foundation appear competent than to just make their adversaries act like idiots. You know, if your adversaries are intelligent and competent and sophisticated and you still beat them, 
that makes you look so much right. cooler than if they are just cartoon <laughs> supervillains. Exactly. Totally. And from my perspective, the thing that I've always looked at with these GOIs, at least a lot of them, is not worrying so much about whether or not they are for or against the Foundation, but have just different goals. The UIU is not as interested in the things that the Foundation is interested in. And that's what makes them interesting because there is that nuance of, okay, well, the UIU is concerned with the enforcement of laws, both the laws that we know about and the ones that are, you know, behind the veil, and they deal with the paranormal. And then the foundation is not interested in laws at all. What they're interested in is containment and research. And those two forces don't have to even come to a head. It's even more interesting when you talk about, well, how do they overlap? How do they talk to each other? You know, do they cooperate sometimes? Of course they do. It would be crazy if they didn't. And I think that's true of almost all the GOIs. You know, some of them, obviously, it's, it's written in such a way that that wouldn't yeah. work out. But, uh, you know, I think that that's why I've really been enjoying both the stuff that I started reading in Third Law, but then other stuff that I read for today's episode. Because that trope, at least for the most part, has been left behind. I think some people still think of them as the UI useless. But it's a much more interesting story to talk about, you know, a very competent federal bureau of like police uh, investigators who deal with the supernatural. And people, you know, in the lead up to, to recording today, people have asked, well, isn't it just kind of the X-Files? No, because the X-Files is a, is a couple of agents who really don't understand what's going on ever. They never really know what's going on, even if the later on ones maybe did. I don't know. I stopped watching it. But no, they, they still didn't. OK, OK. The end. Um, and, and that's because that whole show is based off of, oh, it's mysterious. The UIU is not interested in that. UIU is like a very intelligent, when done right, police procedural that's just happened to deal with, you know, the magical, the science fiction, the horror elements of the of the wiki, which, you know, is yeah super fun i personally do not like police procedural like tv shows but only because there's been so many but on the wiki it's like a breath of fresh air yeah i am um, i've always thought of like unusual investigations and series like that more as like csi three portlands than x-files yeah um, yeah definitely yeah and i mean that's the most interesting aspect of it and now that could be dry if somebody did it in a, in a fairly boring way but you know, it's really interesting to hear about these people that are interest that are focused on like the enforcement of laws or dealing with you know chasing down not any anomaly but the people that are specifically dangerous or dealing in para drugs or whatever. Um, I will, I will, and, I will give the yeah. X Files credit for one thing though: the two agent dynamic duo is, I think, probably like some kind of platonic ideal for how to write like police mysteries because I mean the buddy cop thing has been yeah. around the buddy cop thing's been around for decades it's it's beautiful yeah I've been writing yeah that, uh, I've been writing a buddy cop series with dr Clef and a, and a sarkic carcist oh that's awesome <laughs> yeah it's it's fun um it's a lot of fun I, I think specifically the x-files version of it probably influences a lot of the fiction on the site of because yeah. it's a combination of they had two very charismatic yeah. actors who had great chemistry and they also had good writing for them yeah. to the point where the bad episodes of the x-files are still interesting because of the protagonists and that makes its way into all the buddy cop procedural stuff you'll see on the site where the characters are usually portrayed as having some sort of an interesting dynamic yep. between them which third yeah, law is I, all about I, all the time at the same time as it's crazy and technical yeah, i always tell people if you want to get an idea of how to write character dynamics well 
there, there's two shows you should really look at x files and stargate sg1 both like absolutely nailed <laughs> character dynamics and are completely driven by the interactions between the main cast and they both went for 10 seasons on just that i will propose right. alternatives not that i dislike either of those shows but i've always kind of modeled my characters after um the wire that's also and... very very good and uh, Deadwood, but not for yeah. police procedurals. Yeah. Um, but any 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 show, any movie, like people we've talked about before, well, how do I figure out how to write interesting characters or interesting dialogue? Go immerse yourself in somebody yeah. else's interesting characters and dialogue. And don't just steal them, but, you know, how did they handle it? You know, how did they make a nuanced villain or adversarial relationship or, you know, buddy, you know, camaraderie that isn't just you know out of the rapper boring anyway so uh some basic terminology which is a little old-fashioned but does come up from time to time uh for the uiu a cart is a confirmed artifact meaning an anomaly a can is a confirmed anomaly that's a uh, event or area and a can man is a person who's anomalous uh, these people tend to be particularly dangerous and you'll find someone else who's looking for them typically it is where I think a lot of these case files of the UIU would get really interesting because you're not just dealing with uh, some unknowable anomaly like a weird uh, emotionally damaged teenager like so many SCPs deal with, but like, oh, this is a hardened criminal or, you know, maybe a spy or something who also has anomalous abilities. Yeah, I, I will say I don't believe I personally have ever used any of that terminology. It was, it was pretty old when I joined the site and that was a long yeah. time ago now. But um, it's it's still fun, and it is kind of a it's a cute reference to throw in sometimes, just to call back yeah. to what was. But yeah, it's yeah, as, as TV tropes puts it, a mythology yeah. gag. I I like them. Uh, I've only used them briefly once because I have a character that used to be in the UIU that now works for the foundation. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I like them uh, to a decent amount. But I don't like them as much as I like, say, the the serpent hand uh, terminology, where they call like the scp folk the jailers or the goc the book burners i still use that a lot yeah. but th these are these do feel like a little bit old-fashioned but i thought yeah. it'd be interesting to mention sort of the more modern take on that which you see in the um the different uiu formats is the idea of the regularity cross-reference and i i might have said that wrong because i'm just doing that from memory i don't have a format pulled up in front of me which is a more sure. like comprehensive internal tagging system so where it identifies any you know involved groups of interest or specific types of paranormal phenomenon or whatever basically an in-universe tagging system that the uiu uses to document whatever they run into yeah i mean the terminology that that we just spoke about really doesn't no. belong in yeah. like a government report yeah it's very uh, informal it, it, it would work in maybe like you know agent field notes yeah. or something but it wouldn't work in terms of like oh and now you have to type that up for the report <laughs> that's not gonna fly yep so we're gonna go into a bunch of different articles but i thought i would briefly mention scantron's proposal because i don't personally headcanon it but yeah. i think it's a really intriguing yeah uh idea because in this world according to this article <laughs> the uiu long predates the foundation and the only reason that the foundation exists is because the UIU was investigating an anomaly, and then the anomaly essentially takes over a, a, a number of 
uh, UIU agents and then transforms it into the foundation, which is like a, I, there is something to it. I think there's an interesting like subversion to it. It doesn't really lead itself to like further storytelling, but I think as a individual like snapshot of the what if there is no canon sort of thing, I think it's a, a yeah. fun article. Yeah. Yeah, it ties into absolutely nothing, yeah. and it cannot be tied right. into anything. Yeah. But it's it's a creepy, cool, weird little story where an auditorium just seems to, out of nowhere, generate the foundation <laughs> slowly, piecemeal, and then it exists. And they're all like, I guess we have to deal with yes. this. And yeah, that. and then, like, even fucks around with the trope of, like, the ending note from a U, from an O5 member, only it's, like, somebody who... Gibberish. Gibber- yeah, it's so good. Yeah, Scantron is... It was a very, very good writer, and all of their stuff is yeah. fairly solid. Um, so, so you gave me a list of articles, and I included almost all of them because I, I really like them. Um, but a really fun one to start off with is Conwell's "Make Portland Weird." Yes. So this is a tale that takes place. Uh, at least it starts in the 1970s music festival in Portland, like our Portland, Portland Oregon, to, uh, to, to be clear, because there's there's a right. lot of them. <laughs> Our Portland. Uh, what country do you think I'm in? I don't I have a sure Portland. There's a Portland. Well, there's two Portland, but there's also two Portlands in, <laughs> in the U.S. There too. There are more so. than two. Well, yes, but they're the two <laughs> yes. that are relevant yes. to three Portlands. Yes. Uh, but this is—I can't wait till you start start writing a Crisis on Infinite <laughs> Portland. <laughs> uh, little do you know that already exists, and it's called Come Down Machine. <laughs> oh, I, sh- I need I need yes, to read Come Down Machine. Read it. yes. It's very good and it's very underrated. But uh, getting off, uh, to- off topic. No, that's fine. Uh, that's going to be the topic. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, so getting in this topic. article, there's an SCP agent that's embedded in the f- concert and, you know, looking for possible anarchists or anomalous drugs being spread around. And they get essentially taken by a contact to make a drug deal through into uh, Three Portlands. And it ends up being like this wonderful introduction, not only to the fact that the UIU is in control of Portland, um, but also there is this period of time of this very, very important nexus uh, where, you know, so much weird magic and science fiction stuff happens, but their foundation wasn't even aware. And this is the foundation and they were completely oblivious to it. Do we want to give... Give GW the chance to describe Three Portlands because I would be terrified to attempt to do it while. Well, we're going to do here. that. <laughs> yes, um, but I. Do... I mean, we just brought it up. Maybe we should explain what it is, or unless you have it it's, somewhere it's else the on the outline, I've forgotten. <laughs> is it? Yes. Okay. Um, but I did want to, uh, so, real briefly, uh, they, they do point out that the in, in this article that the UIU has been watching over Three Portlands since Hoover was in office, which you know. It's pretty far back if you think about it. But I thought that this is a really interesting line because it's the when the UIU agent is uh, who the SCP agent uh, meets with ends up chatting with them about the concept of, of the Pacific Northwest. They say, you ever wonder why the Pacific Northwest is so much quieter than the other sections of the U.S. in terms of the strange and the mysterious? It's because most of that activity gets siphoned into here. No need to risk magic and mad science in the real world and risk getting skipped when skipped being SCP. When you can just move to a place where open practice is legal and the norm. You guys come in here and try to contain things and all that activity is going to spill back out, I guarantee it. Yep. And so I wanted to just talk about that first because it is a good introduction into the Three Portlands uh, overall situation and why that's important to UIU and Green Wolf, you did the dossier. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I, I did Three Portlands so like it was my idea originally and it has since grown 
beyond me, but I, I've been pretty heavily involved in a lot of the world building on it. And this is this is this kind of the critical turning point for me in my like efforts to make the UIU cool. Um, so the mm-hmm. idea of the Hoover Mandate, and that is her, uh, named after Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover. Gosh, that's a, there's three H's in his name. Um, no. <laughs> you found a way to make one of the dumbest names yes, sound dumb yes. accidentally. Herbert H. Hoover. <laughs> Hoover Hoover. Um, yes, that is that's named after yes. President Hoover, not uh, Director Hoover of the FBI. Right. Although they were contemporaries. Lots yes. of Hoovering going. Uh, and that is basically the idea that the United States says hands off to the Foundation and other organizations when it comes to certain paranormal enclaves in or near the United States. So, like, Three Portlands, Backdoor Soho, you know, places like that. Um, for various reasons, some of them, you know, like, high-level strategic stuff, Three Portlands, you know, has... It's a way to get between the U.S. and the U.K., you know, by just, like, walking ten steps. So that's a massive strategic resource. But also, for kind of pragmatic reasons, Three Portlands is essentially a single giant containment cell for 80,000 wizards. Um, right. <laughs> and so if the foundation goes in and starts causing a ruckus, that's all going to spill back out into baseline, and that's going to make things so much more difficult for the U.S. So they step in, right. and they're like, no, this we're going to police this and deal with this, and you're just going to stay over here on the sidelines and not worry about it. Um, so let's talk about, about what Three Portland is. Yes. So it's an independent city-state that is... Essentially, extra-dimensional. Yes, I, I don't I don't uh, like the term extra-dimensional because I my background in physics makes well, me, it's not you know, well. I, that's yeah. fine, but what would you call it? Um, it's in its own pocket universe, like in a bag of holding. But yeah, extra-dimensional works as a is, like. Is that more technical? I, yeah, it is. I mean, extra-dimensional <laughs> conveys the idea. I just don't like it as terminology because. <laughs> okay, so it's a pocket universe, yes. and it basically contains this city where it connects to via the ways which are something with the serpent's hand but the idea is the ways are these magical you know gateways to other places and it connects to portland maine portland oregon and the isle of portland in the united kingdom yes so oh so just like there's a bunch of different ways there's like i don't know like 80 or something in portland oregon that i just pulled that number out of thin air it's it's not actually fixed but there's a bunch of them all over these cities and they all connect to places in three portlands and so you can take away from portland oregon into three portlands and then you can walk around in three portlands and open up another way and come back out in the uk right right but the idea is that three portlands is sort of an amalgamation of the like metaphysical imprints or shadows or whatever of these three cities that are all named after each other and all have kind of similar histories and backgrounds uh so it's the like collective idea of Portland has merged together into this meta Portland, essentially. Um, yeah, it, I liked it in uh, "Make Portland Weirder." Conwell describes it as three types of architecture merged into one city. Yes, which is a really good, a really good description. Yeah, so there's elements of all three Portlands in 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 three Portlands. So you have you know like lighthouses and stuff. You have the uh, International Rose Test Garden from Portland, Oregon. There's like a shadow of it in there there's 
you know, lots of little different things from each city that all influence it. Right, and the UIU effectively acts as the FBI does in the rest of the country. They extended their federal jurisdiction to specific uh, laws because, as a part of a deal with the sort of leadership of Three Portlands, because Three Portlands wanted to stay autonomous and not be annexed by the United States or, yes. or other people. Because there is also an aspect, and we won't, don't have to get deeply into it, where there's like a genus loci, yes. where it's like sort of a city is sort of alive yes. uh, in a lot of ways. But there's also, like you said, like 80, 100,000 people there, and they don't want to be uh, yeah. citizens of the United States. Yes. And so the UIU is the representative of U.S. law there, uh, and they also endorse, like sort of embrace that. The people that live there because this also keep, like you said keeps the foundation out because the foundation is not interested in laws they're gonna come in here if they if they did come in there in mass and try to like lock up all these people yeah the um the technical and i know that you and i are probably the only people who would actually care about this but the like the, <laughs> the legal minutia of it is that three portlands has signed a compact of free association like the pacific island mm-hmm. trust territories so it's it is uh, foreign but domestic for purposes of U.S. law, but you know it is still only federal yes, law. Only federal, uh, and the city passes its own ordinances and such, and has its own police force that deals with you know misdemeanors and smaller crimes. And the UIU's main concern is stuff like smuggling, things like that, stuff that directly threatens right. the bail. And of course, you know they they will help out with homicide investigations and things like that. Uh, but that's more by agreement with the city that hey you guys have more resources and experience with this you'd be useful here unless we, we implicitly have this authority and the reason i point out that is federal law is because you know it, it you and i might know this but a lot of people don't really probably think about it but most criminal law state. and civil law is state like a significant portion of it and so none of those laws apply the state laws of Oregon, so all those criminal laws don't apply. They have their own, like you said, but they're a lot less stringent. And federal law is very specific about certain yes. things. Typically, for example, like murder is not a federal unless crime. It's a fe- uh, it can unless be. It's a it can be. Employee or something. Well, yeah, but I mean, they, or you like you, cross state lines to do it. Well, that uh, there are other ways in yeah. which you can make a federal case yeah. for murder, but like it's yes. not the common. And like the same thing with like yes. if you robbed a gas station, the FBI is not going to come after you. Um, <laughs> not just because they don't care, but also because well, that has nothing to do with their purview. Uh, yes. And so it is. Now, this, if you rob gas stations in three states, then they might be like, hmm, they will, they will, they yeah. they might. Uh, it depends, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, and if you rob your gas station with thaumaturgy, then the UIU would definitely be. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, well, I do. Well, while you're while you're st- stuck there, I just wanted to quickly throw in something about the actual tale that we're talking about, um, because. Conwell focuses it on the UIU agent, and that's kind of cool because it's a complete inversion of the way the X Files stuff usually works. Where mm-hmm. we've got the we've got the um, workaday government agents who are trying to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, there's a secret cabal of people who actually know all the answers, and they imprison the anomalous stuff and they research it, and we never get to know what's going on with them. But on the SCP wiki, we associate ourselves with the secret cabal of people who have right. everything and know everything. And instead, it's the UIU who are the outsiders to us, and they are used as the POV characters to explore this. It's, it's, a, it's a neat little twist yeah. um, yes. that we, ha- we have to learn. We are the foundation in our heads because most of what's on the wiki is from the foundation's perspective and the uiu is explaining to us what's going on and it's a neat twist yeah i want to give gw i want to give you credit i know this is conwell's tale but like just in general like when you said that this was your like uh kind of real 
uh, starting off point of trying to make the UIU cool. The idea that there is a uh, whole like megalopolis of wizards and cyberpunk people that the UIU is the primary like law enforcement of, or at least it, 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 uh, on the mega scale in terms of like the foundation has no being here and they need to, if they want to get involved and they have to talk to the UIU like that immediately just adds so much credibility and like weight to the UIU's like responsibilities. Yeah. It, um, it also creates sort of this interesting situation, uh, which is explored a little bit in third law where the foundation has more latitude to operate within the actual United States of America than they do within three Portlands. And the reason for that really is that the foundation can do things that the UIU can't because they are a quasi, I mean, really they are an illegal conspiracy. Yes. Like they yeah. violate so many laws oh all my the God, time. Yes. And the, the, and it's, but it's convenient for the federal government to just look the other way. It's like, oh, you know, you guys, you know, detained this, uber sorcerer who wasn't actually doing any crimes but was kind of a problem well we don't, we don't care <laughs> right yeah that habeas corpus what's the that the thing that it reminds me of the most is uh like those uh political slash like spy thrillers that are like focusing in on like border towns you know like uh like yes. some of the cold war era like spy fiction that talks about like berlin you know and how there were these influences of these two very large like megalodon you know government bodies that were focused in on uh, this tiny little space uh, and how they had to like essentially like tiptoe around each other and that I find really fascinating about the whole dynamic okay so I wanted to also talk about uh, a series that you mentioned uh, by our friend IHP um, or IP yes. is how he likes to pronounce it IP um, called this yeah apparently I've, it's I've always said IP I have not Wow, GW, we found the person I who know, said Hip's name the way Ip likes. It's it's GW. Which is so funny because I didn't know that until like six months ago. And I've been talking to, to Ip for like, I mean, all, <laughs> forever. We, both of us have talked to him like almost daily for yeah. like a year now. And the first time we both go into a voice chat with him, he's like, my name is Ip. And we're both like, what? And he goes, well, how have you been saying it? We're like, IHP. And he's like, what? What's his... It's not. It, it's, it's, never occurred to him. It's not like capitalized like an acronym, though. It's just capital yeah, but, I, lowercase but, h, lowercase p. Yeah, see, this, but, this is what it sounded like he when made he his, said it. You even have his, similar voices. That's <laughs> yeah, true. You do. Um, but like, also, like his author avatar, which he killed off in one tale, which is hilarious. <laughs> you know, is you know I H Pikmin. You know, so like that's how I was. I was thinking about it as yeah. So like, I still initials. call him Pikmin sometimes, but usually when I'm irritated, it's like when you have a kid and you know his middle name. And you're like, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about, Pikmin? We would uh, never be irritated at you. Never. Of course not. No promises. Uh, <laughs> well, you haven't collaborated quite as much as I have with him. Uh, don't be pissed at us. Anyway. Uh, so this is a UIU series with no name, which is a fun series of tales starring the Quinn McAllister, who's a UIU agent stationed in Cincinnati, Ohio. And it starts off as just a drug bust, uh, but really goes places. It's an excellent cop story, kind of showing how competent the UIU uh, at policing the anomalous world are. You know, and I put this specifically in a point, not just to you know gain brownie points with it, but like <laughs> everything he writes is really good yes. character moments and that's you know i mean and i think he would say like his strong suit is characters yeah and this shines just as much as snc plastics 
And, uh, you know, it's not finished, so just be aware if you go and read it. Yeah. It isn't finished, but it's still really worth your time. It, yes, it, be aware it, that if you go and finish and you say enough nice things about it, he might actually actually yes. finish the damn thing. Right. I, know, I know on the discussion page for the most recent one, you were wondering if anyone was still reading them. I'm still reading them. I'll Please. <laughs> I, I need the conclusion. Uh, the, the, the UAU series with no name was like one of my big main inspirations when I was starting out writing about the UIU, and it's it's really hey, good. cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I wanted to pull out this quote where Quinn is talking about the SCP Foundation because I thought it was really insightful. They say that they've got a secret police. They round up people whom they deem different and undesirable into places where they can be contained. They delude themselves into thinking they're a force for good. Only difference is, is that their swastikas are just in the shape of the letters SCP, because she's comparing them to essentially neo Nazis. Yeah, I mean there is uh, there is always that kind of element that it's hard to yeah. get around that the foundation is, at a minimum, quasi fascist and at worst yeah. actually outright fascist. Like they are a secret conspiracy that is accountable to no no government or democratic democratic process, and they arbitrarily determine what is and is not normal like yeah i mean i will i will kind of support the idea when people kind of push back on that and say well they're not really fascist you know yeah, it, i agree the, yeah, actually I, because they're, they're they're not an open you know fascists are not yeah. about being secret yeah they're, they're not about <laughs> you know yeah, ex- they are about explicit government yeah, control so they're not but they're just but yeah yeah but no i agree because they are like the most authoritarian uh, government, you know, body on the planet. They, you know, people are like, oh, really? Well, you think that they're bad? They regularly go into people's minds and erase things yeah. without their consent. Yeah. Do you, do you understand how much of a violation yeah. it is? If that ever became public knowledge, the, people, like, that's the worst part about the Broken Masquerade, which I, is a canon I really like. But, like, it's like, why weren't they, like, why weren't there fucking, like, witch, you know, like, bur- yeah. witch burnings about them? Like, this is so bad. Yeah. It's what I addressed in Vanguard when we started it. Uh, at the end of 6500 was like someone needs to talk about the fact that if we go public things are going to be bad for us we need to have like like a con- like we need to have a plan for like amnesties and what yeah no a, a sneak behind a sneak peek behind the curtain for the long term future of third law ultimately does end with a broken masquerade and there is a tale a plan for that period that is literally just like the extensive Senate committee hearings about the SCP Foundation and what they are going to do with these people. That sounds fun. I like yes. that. Yeah, that does sound and fun. It, it, it does end with the UIU basically throwing all of them under the bus and be like, nope, that, we weren't involved in that. That, that was all them. <laughs> that sounds like the FBI, all right. Yeah. UI up yours. <laughs> yep. So. so a different one by IP is yes. uh, another one you recommended, which was SCP-2147. Yes. And it's called The Neverglades. And this is, at its <laughs> core, just a really good idea. Yes. Uh, it's short and sweet, but it is so strange in the best way. It's a, it's, a, it's a house in an Ohio suburb, but it's also a region of a swamp in the Everglades in yes. Florida. Yes. Because when you go into the house, every interior space of the house is connected physically through anomalous means to this the Everglades. And some of the details of it, I just want to read them because they're so much fun. A pit of quicksand located on the second story, which has no outlet, despite being located above the first floor bathroom. GPS sensors dropped into the quicksand indicate the termination point is somewhere in the Everglades. So... 
if you want a quick uh, shortcut to Everglades, just get in the sand pit. <laughs> the water faucets often expel swamp water drawn from unknown source when turned on, as well as items such as the plants of duckweed genus. Frogs that was amazing. Direct- I could see you skip over the botanical yep. name. You're just like, I heard your, I could hear your brain go, nope, I'm not saying not, that. Not, not doing it, but thanks for calling it out. Anyway, no worries. <laughs> and, I'm, I'm here for you, buddy. <laughs> and dragonfly nymphs, despite being connected to the city of Redacted's municipal water supply. In addition, faucets will turn on at random, despite having faucet valves disabled. Free swamp water for everyone at random. <laughs> <laughs> The attic of the house is inaccessible due to several square meters of silt, dirt, and organics, an estimated 300 tons of matter filling the space, including the stairs leading into the attic. Despite this, the ceiling of the second floor bears the weight of the attic with no structural issues. Currently, attempts are being made to enter the attic from the roof. What is presumed to be the living room or parlor of the house is filled entirely with swamp water of an unknown depth. Furniture has been found in this area of the house by exploratory divers. Furthermore, persistent audio phenomena has been heard both above and below water in the form of an unknown folk song or songs. With the exception of the living room, basement, and bathrooms, no furniture or appliances were present. Yes, this is a this is a great series three skip, and I, yeah. I, I mean I, I'm probably biased in this regard because it's around the time I joined the site, but I really do think like series three was kind of a perfect like happy medium behind here's just a cool weird thing and like Mm. here's a really long narrative about it where it was like here's a cool weird thing and a short story about it and i I think that's an ideal format to be at and this this does it really well this one does that really well and i will say that like as much as i do enjoy like the modern complexity of things that can be possible on the wiki because now we all are like well we can just do comedy or romance or whatever anything's possible i do very much appreciate series three because i feel like that's where the the form like the medium of the sdp writing really like yes started to really shine there are really good articles before that i'm not saying there aren't but the, like the sheer amount of articles starting in two that are like, wow, this yeah. one is nuts. It's it's where the site grew the beard to to borrow another term TV tropes. TV tropes. Yes, yeah, grew the beard. That's so that's yeah, a it's... reference to William Riker because in the first first season of Star uh, of Next Generation, <sighs> he was clean shaven and it is awful to be really old. really bad. Yeah, and then he he grows out his beard and oh my god, I don't know how that man ever went through life clean shaven. <laughs> Uh, it it always confused me how somebody on a starship was allowed to have a beard, but whatever. Well, that was the extent of Riker's character development. <laughs> he grew a beard. I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not I'm not a big Star Wars guy, Star Trek guy. Sorry. Yeah, this is it's it's a difference between the first season of that show, which kind of actually blew, and the second seasons and onward, where it improved drastically. And part of it, the signifier, the signpost, is. Does Riker have a beard? So if you turn it on and it's a rerun and you go, oh, Riker doesn't have a beard, this one might just be the planet where everybody's black because the writers um, ended up with a racist director. This might be that episode. Oh, my God. Yeah, first season sucked. Yeah. <laughs> but if you see a beard, you're like, maybe this won't be a terrible episode. I, I can't even imagine that man without a beard. Yeah, it's not I have great. To, now I have to look this up after the yeah, show. It's... And in fact... It works really well because when he shaves the beard off in one of the movies, it's a really bad movie. <laughs> well. <laughs> anyway, mildly uh, off topic here, just a little bit. No, no. Whatever. Who cares? Oh, oh wait. While we're uh, still on the topic of If, I just wanted to mention because we were talking about the uh, the X-Files. In the uh, UIO series with no name, there is a character named Agent Spender. 
And this is because this is a thing that Ip can't help himself from doing, is referencing things he likes. That's a name from the X-Files. That's proof. <laughs> That's where he's getting his inspiration from. Well, I mean, it, it, it makes sense why it's an inspiration. Yeah. Yes. I, I thought it was really it. fun. The reason why we're talking about this this skip is because 2147 was actually discovered by UIU. In fact, it was discovered by Quinn McAllister, the same character from the series with no name. Yeah. Because they were investigating reports of alligators in the sewers, which is so funny because it's such a tropey yes. bullshit thing where you would send, like the FBI agents that hunt UFOs to find out if there are alligators in the sewers and instead what they find is this fucking mind-boggling like you know uh, temporals not temporal but like dimension sink where two parts of the United States are connected through swamp water and then yes. because because there's no crime involved right it's not really their right. problem so like here you guys turn it over <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, it's fun because they the foundation, at least in the first part, the foundation is getting all the information from the UA. It's like the UIU did their homework for the foundation, uh, and they're just invest. They're just like interviewing McAllister because McAllister's just been told, "Hey, hand this off. We don't want to deal with this." Yeah, not our problem. Which you know makes sense yeah. because it isn't. Uh, why don't we take a break? Okay, we are back from break. Um, so we've got a bunch more articles to talk about, and we're going to switch a little bit away from SCPs because I think most of the really interesting stuff from the UIU uh, are their case files, their GOI formats. Yes. What's a GOI format, Gregory? <laughs> it's a group of interest format, meaning it's an article, and I guess it would technically be a tale, but it's not just prose. It, they each GUI, or not actually each, but many, many. of them have uh, formats of their own internal documents. Yeah. Are we cool yet? Has like art proposals. MC and D has like really terribly designed GUI formats that I hate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're just so gross looking. I wish that someone would come in and make a better looking theme. So much purple. Yeah, and, and like not in a good way either. I like purple, but that, anyway, anyway. The point um, is that they're not technically tales. They are the third variety of thing on the site. Yes. Right. The least respect, the least respected Man. of all. You think you think it's bad now? I like, I, 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 I would like to take credit for. It. I, I don't think it's taking too much credit for motivating the like goy format renaissance. And gosh, there are going to be people I know who are going to give me flack for pronouncing it like that. But whatever, I don't care. Um, I bet your Gregory well, thinks it's pretty funny. It, um, I think it's hilarious because Goy means something very different. Anyways, GOI <laughs> format. Um, I actually wrote... Like, you're both Goys. I actually <laughs> um, I wrote the uh, the main the list that is used to list all of the GOI formats on the site. I like got sick of waiting for anybody on staff to do it, so I just wrote it and gave it to Conwell and was like, here, post this. <laughs> and then we got it on the sidebar. And The lesson here is never ask for permission, just do it. So, well, well, that, as a member that, of staff, I both simultaneously have don't to actually say... do that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I uh, and I had a period where I was writing basically only GOI formats, and a lot of them were very successful. So uh, it... yeah, I don't. I want to push back on the idea that they're the least respected because I feel like tales are entirely ignored. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let let me say it in a different way then. Other than Wilson's wildlife GOI formats, GOI formats are the least respected of the three. Wilson's Wildlife is in a higher tier for people wanting to actually read them than Tails. 
and GUI formats in general are usually below that. Although the UIU formats are actually quite highly. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Well, we, we can talk about it when we get to the next one, but I have some thoughts there. On this article? Uh, or just, just on the, the UIU format in general. Uh, so yeah, the next one, we'll just go into it, is UIU file 2014-014, which is Metaphysical Shark Terrorism. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I love this by, article. Yes. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, by Nat Voltaic and Lord Stonefish, which, you know, two names that if you see on them on our article, you should probably read it. Yes. Uh, it is technically part of, not technically, it is part of Third Law, but you don't really have to have read Third Law to understand this one, in my opinion. Yeah, most, most Third Law uh, stuff is relatively standalone. Yeah. Yes, this one and the one that we'll look at later by Anorak, I think might even be improved if it's something you don't understand the context of because they're both so wacky. Yes. Anoraks especially, yeah. Well, yeah, both of them, honestly. Um, but this one is an entity uh, resembles a metaphysical shadow of a basking shark <laughs> and possesses a conceptive... Conceptivorous? Hmm, conceptivorous diet, meaning they eat concepts. Formerly active within the Three Portlands area after creation by uh, the associates of uh, Apothe- Ap- Apotheos? Oh, Apotheosis? No, ap- Apotheosis, yeah. Sleep, sleep apnea. <laughs> that's right. Uh, which is like a GOI that's basically just meant for this, and maybe it's in other articles, but you don't have to worry about it. The point is they were like this, these weird, like, uh, cult terrorist type people. Uh, and it first appeared in a quarry, a quarry in the Jurassic District where it caused the deaths of workers and damaged expensive paratechnology, uh, continued activity in different realms of the city until it was captured. Um, so this is a shadow of a shark that runs around and, well, runs, swims around and eats concepts out of the real world. Yes. yes. Specifically huh? a basking shark, which unless I'm mistaken is the one with just the big mouth open yeah, all the time. Yeah, it's a filter feeder. <laughs> That is such a beautiful image. It's this big shadow of a big dumb shark with its mouth open just eating concepts as it swims around. It's interestingly almost, you know, connected to what we were talking about last week with fifthism, how some of the entities are basically, you know, discussed in this same fashion of the idea of something that eats concepts out of the real world and and literally, you know, like subtracts them from reality. Yeah. It is capable of filter feeding concepts from a particular area, as well as being able to quote unquote swim through solid objects. Eaten concepts will disappear within the area and will reappear two hours later. For example, if the concept of steel is eaten, all steel and variations of it in the area will disappear. Any steel will have an outline where around where it would be. Yeah, basically like <laughs> selecting something in a game and just turning off rendering. <laughs> <laughs> Only that doesn't work so great with gravity when you take away steel. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because some of the evidence is it includes a piece of rebar, which was part of an overpass, like a freeway overpass, which was consumed by the shark. And the rebar fluctuates between a consumed state and a normal one, oftentimes losing part of its concept. Current status. The entity is currently held in the modified tank at Portland's Aquarium, a popular tourist destination in the Teal District. This is three Portland's. Yes. Uh, the tank is constructed of a conceptually null clear solid CNC two, and contains a variable water level depending on the entity's needs. Various complex security systems prevent the entrance of unauthorized entities or materials. Metaphysical marine biologists, <laughs> metaphysical marine <laughs> biologists, are working with the UIU to determine the state of the entity and its condition is believed to be artificially induced by the AOA members for use as a weapon. 
Entity shows moderate to severe signs of stress at all times because of its condition. Oh, it's it's so sad. I know, it's not even a bad thing. Yeah, so what I've basically been reading is like little snippets from the file itself. So when you were talking about the formatting, you want to swing in here and talk about it? Um, yeah, so the original UIU GUI format and the one that most of them are written in, it, it has this presentation of... Oh, hot take time. Go ahead. It's, I, I don't know, it... it like the tabs in it are, you know, initial report, suspect description, evidence, bureau record... And it goes through, like, documenting this as basically almost, like, what I would imagine, like, the FBI's internal files on, like, you know, MLK and people like that would look like, where it's just, like, it's very focused on the physical description of an object and less about the actual investigation around it. And I don't think that's, I mean, that can be used to tell interesting stories like this, but I think it's kind of limiting, and I... Sure. Yeah, so it, it it it's almost too much like the uh, SCP format. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a reason I think the SCP format is what it is. Uh, yeah. And, and but honestly, you know, I think just as much as the SCP format can be pushed back because I don't remember the last time I did. Well, only one of recent SCP that I've done uh, didn't involve some sort of dialogue. This could easily be fit to like involve transcripts of like interviews. I mean, I know Anorex did. Yes, um, and that is um, that is this other UIU format, which uh, we can talk about more when we actually get to NRX format. But right. but this is a really good example of yes. how the UIU would handle sort of a rampaging, you know, anomalous monster, effectively. Only it's one that is fairly sympathetic because it doesn't seem to enjoy its existence at all. And yeah. what's interesting is that it, the way that it handles it, I, I get what you're saying, that like it is fairly limiting, but like I think there is like a really strong sense of verisimilitude when it comes to like reading through a file because a lot of times they are using tabs and uh, you can literally tab through it as if it was an actual manila folder in front of you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which like I every- like a lot. Like every format, there's some tales that are better suited to this, and there's some that are better suited to other formats. Right. Yes, and this this one is definitely, I think, one of the best examples of the of this variation on the format. Uh, it does it's it's a good story for it, and it uses the format to tell it in a way that's very interesting. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And we did not summarize the meat of the article, which is sort of the investigation. But I can see what you're saying, that it is sort of expository and kind of in the way that like a file actually would be, because if you were reading a file, you do not want to read through the entire interview. You want the summary. Like, tell me what you figured out. If I have to go back and like review the details, that's fine. But like, I want to know what is, you know, what's the meat here. But as opposed to that, UIU file 2003-112 by Anorek, which is about a paranarcotics ring. Uh, It takes place in three Portlands. And I actually crit this one way back when. So did I. I love this article. Yes. It's really... We all did. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I was actually originally supposed to be a co-author on this, but I, uh, my, uh, I just didn't have time. So I, like, I wrote a or did a lot of editing on like the first tab and then the entire rest of it is Anorak and I was like look I, I like made you wait like a year I, I won't ask for co-author credit on it but it yeah. does use the alternative UIU format that I've been working on in the background for ages now that I've not actually gotten around to like posting on the site but uh which is uh, I call it the case file format rather than just the like file format and it is focused around like emulating 
the like ongoing investigative case file that you might see so it includes like interview transcripts and collected evidence and it has you know reports at different intervals summarizing the investigation so it is meant to kind of present a narrative following an investigation from the beginning all the way through to the end versus like here's a thing we have in custody and here's how we got it and it's a huge strength it really works no it does especially because there's that bit where and i i I remember talking to anarch about it where i'm like okay you have this midpoint investigation summary let's try not to repeat this is still fiction but like it's a really interesting concept to be like here's where we're at now in this in this investigation and then to move forward again which is like it, like again, it feels very like real, even though I I know it actually isn't because I've seen case files. Yeah, but, um, not yeah, FBI, not FBI case files, yeah, but you know they're all the same basically. Yeah, it's it's not, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't have access to like actual FBI files to really look at um, with, with this, so I was kind of going more off of what what does, what does it feel like it should be and what is most narratively what is most conducive to the narrative and exactly. The, and like, all it has to do is feel real, right? It's verisimilitude, not yeah. actual realism, because actual realism is horrible. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and another thing worth noting as well too is that like a lot of these different tabs are like optional within the format the way I have it like set up. So you could have like three interim case reports if you had a really long investigation, or you could have none if you had a really short one. And you know, there's different you know, tabs for, like, interview logs and things like that. And the idea is just to basically have a bunch of different tools that you can use to construct a narrative and arrange them in the right order. So I'm so. going to uh, slight detour here because I stole this uh, formatting to use in a GRU article on this, uh, an SCP yes. main list article, 5957. Uh, I didn't do it exactly, but like this was a high inspiration about how I thought maybe a government uh, investigative uh, yeah. file would be. And it's actually about the GRU investigating the Dyatlov Pass incident. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, oh. so that's, if anybody's interested, that's 5957. Yes. Uh, I'm really proud of it. It, you know, never like exploded, but like I... I feel like there's a lot to be done with the GRU, to be honest. It's not just bo- as boogeymen, but like actually yeah. understanding. I, I think there's, similar to how you've done a UIU, I would like to go in and start writing yeah. more GRU. Is, so. is, it, is it kosher to promote other podcasts on here? Because Yeah. Uh, okay, so there's um, Jesse Cox and a couple other guys. I, I can't, can't uh, Alex Francione, I think, and uh, Michael Davis. They do a podcast together called Chaluminati. And it is entirely about like diving in, deep diving into conspiracy theories and like strange oh, yeah. stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And they had a great episode on, on the Dilatov Pass incident. I think it's episode ten. Um, so there's a lot. I've, I've it, not only in reference to writing that article, but in uh, just prior to that, I had read up and watched a, a, quite a few videos on it, and it is yeah. pretty fun. It, yeah, uh, if you like, uh, I mean, if you like the scp wiki and you like like conspiracy th- fiction like that you you'll probably like chiluminati because they you know, yeah it's, it's yeah it's a fun podcast for yeah. sure yeah uh i've only listened to a few but they they did a really good job with the ones i listened to yeah. anyway all right so back to anorex actual article yes. because that's what we're here to talk about uh yes. it takes place in three portlands it centers around one of the magical colleges because there are several in three portlands and yes. this one is deer college and it is very much like a college because there are parties and uh it's all about a drug that leads to a drug overdose at a party on campus <laughs> the police oh I, my almost terrible uh they can't, they can't identify it 
the, the drug that's involved, and they can't figure out how it is that these people died, but they also find a dead frog who, long-term proximity to the Deer Campus, may have given the frog an abnormal degree of sentience and awareness, so they call in a necromancer to rise up the spirit of this frog to interview him. <laughs> yes, Quinn Law, federal necromancer. <laughs> who's a character that I originated but then gave to Anorak and it's his character now um, but she's, she's great it's I mean I just but just that premise like when you get to the end I think it's the first tab or the second tab where they're like okay and we're just we're gonna call in a necromancer because we need to rave what <laughs> yep that's where I was sold and I remain sold <laughs> absolutely because up until that point it felt okay so this is you know paracrime but like where's the twist oh my god <laughs> and then the twists don't stop is, right. Is yes. <laughs> because the the drug is called Woden, and it and as a quote allows the user to view the perspective of alternate versions of themselves, specifically seeking out alternate versions of the user that possesses high levels of serotonin, dopamine, oh. endorphins, or oxytocin. While not directly possessing the alternate self's body, Woden allows for the sharing of the alternate self's perspective and emotional state due to the sinking of the users and doppelgangers' hormonal and sensory centers of the brain. And this was developed by Prometheus Labs, I think, in connection to a different drug to make some sort of weapon, but that's not really that important. That's interesting world building, but it's more about them trying to figure out who's making this drug and who's distributing it. And it goes even weirder places because they also interrogate a fucking golem. Yep. <laughs> and then there's even a drug raid involved. So, like, I mean, this is like... When you brought it up, it was like, oh, perfect. This is exactly the kind of thing I want to talk about because this shows not only the UIU being like top of their game, competent, you know, law enforcement, but also just the weird, wacky shit that they have to deal with all the time. Yeah, yeah. This, this article was my introduction to Three Portmans. And while I was reading it, I was just... A, my cat's making noises, I apologize. Um, <laughs> while I was reading it, I was just absolutely astonished by how it keeps ramping up to the point where you actually get a sense of how big and crazy and weird Three Portlands is just by the fact that while the story is trying to happen, Three Portlands keeps insisting on impinging on the events. <laughs> like while the drug bust's going on, somebody's shot goes wild and hits somebody who was in a flying motor scooter, which crashes into a building and explodes. And that's not even related to what's going on. That's just the setting being crazy in the background. I mean, there's a reason they call it the Weird City. It's, it's perfect. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it really is like CSI Three Portlands, where you're, you have this very grounded and down-to-earth police procedural in just this crazy insane urban fantasy set this city where where all of the like craziness is also just like kind of normal and baked into how it works and like that's just the logic that they operate on it's beautiful yeah the interview with the golem is a really good example of it too because there's this whole discussion of like code words and like magical runes that like are part of its operating system as if it was like you know a program on windows or something and i think i mean the the part you don't ever stop to go there's nothing in the article itself that makes you go um what Be yeah. even though it's all so crazy like if you stop and think about it out of context you're like this article is going weird places but there's no point in the article where the, the where anorex stops and like winks at the at the reader there is this real sense of like you know groundedness throughout despite all the strange shit that's going on yeah, I mean, it's that very specific form of humor where you say something completely insane in the most deadpan, serious voice mm -hmm. you can yes. and do not even blink. Yes. 
that's basically all my comedy. <laughs> the best. And, kind. It, the, and the wiki is very, very good for that because of the like governmental nature of right. or quasi-governmental nature in the case of the foundation, where you have these official clinical documentations of what are frankly insane events. Yes. I mean, that's the best. That's why I feel like it's such a good medium for satire. It's why I've kind of gone nuts with that stuff with Victim because I feel like you just describe these things in the most clinical way possible and then let the the contextless weird event speak for itself. Like, if you can make the reader pause for a second and go, wait a minute, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Which works as much for horror as it does for comedy, I think. Yeah, I mean, horror and comedy are two sides yeah. of the same coin. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Anyway, uh, moving on. You recommended uh, a couple of tales by Twisted Gears, but I only put one of them on here because I thought it was really fascinating. It's called Close of Play, uh, yes. and it's about a essentially a sleeper agent for the Foundation being introduced to a small like field office of the UIU. And what's really fun about it is that they, it really plays off this concept of, like... Um, hidden like not code words but like activation words like when you sign a contract in this magical world that has like certain bearings on what you can or can't discuss with people outside of it so the sleeper agent can't actually report anything to his foundation superior yeah there's a i'm gonna mispronounce this word because it's uh, uh celtic in origin yes yes yeah yes i think i think yeah i mean i i think it's in like Celtic, it's like pronounced like Gesh or something like that. Oh, but that's G- G- maybe, yeah. Yeah, but who knows? We we don't speak Irish here. We speak English, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Gieses. G- 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 um, the idea <laughs> that, and this shows up in other fiction as well too, like yeah. the Laundry Files, uh, things like that, where you basically have this, you know, Im- implanted mimetic trigger or whatever that compels your behavior, and you cannot break it. Um, and th- this is this is used here, where the UIU basically um, cons this guy. They Manchurian candidate him into being their sleeper agent, which is delightful. <laughs> it is. It's really good. Um, I would have loved to have seen like that story continue, but you know that's not always the way it works on the wiki. Yeah. But it is a really fun because it is an article that ends with this feeling of like, oh, this could be like a whole like tv show about this guy who's forced into being uh you know like you said a sleeper agent for two different organizations uh and you know it's just it's really fun it's got this very it it portrays the uiu in this very interesting sympathetic way which is funny because they're the fbi and in real life i think the fbi is pretty much shit yeah Uh, (laughs) but but like i I like to think of them more along the lines of like the u.s marshals but whatever like they are if you were to look at all the secret organizations in the foundation's you know world they probably are the ones that are treated most often like just trying to do good like in terms of like tamping down on dangerous shit for people and this really does set a really fun tone for it because the boss isn't just like lording it over the sleeper agent but is also like you know no nonsense about it and it has this very it's just got an excellent tone i think yeah it is um that is something i always like keep in mind when i'm writing about the uiu is that even though they are quote-unquote the good guys in you know compared to like the foundation especially from the perspective of people in three portlands Right. They still are, you know, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They're, you know, they're Hooverites. You know, they, yeah. this is the same agency that, you know, conducted COINTELPRO and did all sorts of other crazy, insane... Still does. 
Yeah, still does. Um, yep. And well, I think the UIU is probably maybe a little bit like in, in terms of institutional culture is not quite as like conservative as the FBI as a whole. They still are like, you know, they still are a secret police, even if they are operating right. on, or yeah. trying to operate under you know, due process and things like that. So. I think fiction likes to look at the FBI in terms of like Science of the Lambs or like the real world stuff of uh, FBI profilers, because who can argue with the fact of people that hunt down serial killers? Yeah. Right. But well, that's like very little of what they actually do. Yeah. They, th- most FBI agents are not stopping bank robberies. They are not investigating, you know, murder sprees. They are doing, like, horrible, like, you know, like, investigations of, like, fucking, like, peace organizations and, like, the Black Panthers, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, oh, or um, the, there's a trick that they like to do sometimes where, like an FBI informant will, like, go to these people they have under surveillance and, like, coach them through all of the steps to, like, do some crime or something, and then the FBI will swoop in and be like, look, we stopped the crime that we planned. And the fact that that is not entrapment blows me away. The cases that decided that those cases, not to get too lawyerly, you know, here, but, like, the, the cases that when we read those in crime, like, that that decided that those were not entrapment according to the supreme court was just shocking to me they engineered this they made the crime yeah it's yeah but... Ugh. anyway well anyway on, on a similar topic just because we just mentioned ireland and the fbi at the same time there's an irish <laughs> movie called the guard with uh, brendan gleason and don Cheadle where Don Cheadle is a visiting uh, fbi agent and brendan gleason is an irish cop and um every time somebody meets him and they introduce him they go, oh, are you with the behavioral sciences unit? And he goes, no. And then they don't want to talk to him because they're not interested <laughs> anymore. <laughs> a running joke where that's the only thing in the FBI that has good publicity. And otherwise it's like, oh, you're just with your regular FBI. Oh. Yeah, like I would never watch a TV show about 99% of the activities that the FBI does. But like I've watched Mindhunter like three times. Yeah, Mindhunter is great. <laughs> and I've read the books that that guy wrote that the, that that series is based off of. And he was an arrogant dick. But man, his life is interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you watch anyway. the, if you watch the X Files, like the anytime the rest of the bureau is involved, they're dicks. <laughs> yeah. And even I, I even the X Files doesn't think the FBI is good. They think those two and sometimes their boss are good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and well. I think that is that's something else to keep in mind with the relationship between the UIU and the rest of the FBI, because yeah. the rest of the FBI thinks that they are, you know, the X Files UFO hunters, right? And in reality, yeah, there is like the little tiny UFO hunting unit that they keep around for show, but then they have like this entire other organization right. that is basically parallel to the entire Department of Justice, and whenever they have to go into like Quantico or whatever for like yearly training, you know or on some mundane thing, they have to put up with all of this stuff from other agents being like, oh, you guys are the, you are useless, huh? Right, so yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, when you I say that it's the Department that's... of Justice, I mean, they even have, like, federal courts that only deal with the paranormal. Yeah. Uh, that's not a UIU thing, but, like, the fact yeah. that there is an entire shadow, like, the way you described it in that bit that I read at the beginning, where it is literally a shadow of the Department of Justice and the federal like legal system that only applies to the anomalous which is fascinating uh okay so let's talk about a different article which is somebody else's parking lot in sebastopol which is by the very talented and unfortunately now absent kate mcteris and that is scp2972 and i love kate's articles so when you suggested this i was immediately like yeah 
Yes, Kate um, is a very good writer. Yep. Her 001 is, no offense, Harry, I love yours too, but I love her 001 so much. Yes. yes. Nobody doesn't it's, like Kate Materis's 001. Seriously. When people are like, what's your favorite one? I'm like, oh, record? Oh, yeah, fair enough. It's, it's brilliant. Everybody loves that one. So basically, this is the UIU's investigation into Anomaly that does the legwork for the foundation in understanding what really happened, a lot like Ip's article. Uh, and basically, this is a parking lot where once between every two and two, two, and 21, 21. days, <laughs> to, the anomaly will cause a seemingly random unoccupied motor vehicle parked within its bounds to disappear apparently instantaneously and then appear in a warehouse in an industrial district of Sevastopol in the Crimea. Which is just hilarious because they track, they, they the UIU does a very smart, like, practical thing and they just put GPS bugs in a bunch of plant cars and then just figure out where it goes, where uh, they find out that these two guys have hired essentially like a, an anomalous fixer to make this thing where they could easily transport cars from one place to another and then they were you know selling the sell you know chopping the cars and doing what you do with selling yeah. cars and this this is a recurring theme and a lot of stuff in third law and it, it does it really well here and this isn't a third law article but it's you know, in spirit which, which, which is the idea of is you take the fantastic and strange and the anomalous and you use it to do really mundane things like car thieves or car thievery right Um. yeah it's a that's a like a whole thematic core that i really enjoy i just wrote an article about uh satanic franchises where people are trying to like franchise out like satanic cults i mean we've done it in the real world like if you look at like air travel which you know, flight is the like an absolute te- technological miracle. The fact that like we can fly in the yes. air in machines is incredible, <laughs> and we have turned it into the most awful experience on the planet. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, planes are shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. One line from this article that I really like is that the names of the two cities were connected with what he called a linguistic ley line, yeah. <laughs> making moving stuff between them trivial. Which the idea yeah. of like that sort of like sympathetic magic happening yeah. between like the names of cities is such a fun idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's baked into three Portlands too. It's yeah, of course. Yeah, like taking the sister like. city idea and taking it to extremes. Yes. But speaking of behavioral units, oh boy, we're going to yes. talk about SCP-3256, uh, and this is a fairly dense one, so we're only going to like give some real brief kind of like summary points of it, because I want people to go and read this, and this is also by Ip, and this is, if you are very familiar with Ip's SNC Plastic, this is like 180 in terms of tone. <laughs> it's so dark and like really good, but it is 100% like Science of the Lambs meets the SCP Foundation. Yeah. I, uh, I rewrite it before we started recording, and yeah, uh, so I've, I've been good. looking around my room for spiders now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But, but so GW, creepy. you don't understand. You are the spiders. No. <laughs> or they're inside you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which is god. way worse. Uh, yeah. And I think this is an excellent example of the foundation of the UIU like working together instead of portraying them as useless or portraying them as some opposing party just like i spoke earlier on the reason i find them interesting is when would these organizations overlap and uh this is such a good one because it's a mimetic anomaly that manifests in information related to the murders fitting a serial killer called the brockton bay binder i wonder if that's a reference to worm or to yeah anyway uh, manifest in any written descriptions artistic or photographic depictions fictionalized or dramatized 
portrayals and speech that depicts or describes a body mutilated in the manner with which is consistent with the murderer. So basically what happens is people that read a report of this criminal's activities, uh, starting in 2008, which is like eight years after these murders stopped, they start becoming like compelled to then like become a copycat. Which is really, I'm surprised no one did this before this. Like, it's such a, like, very interesting idea of, like, the mimetic infection of a copycat killer. Yeah, yeah. and it's, yeah, I mean, it, you kind of have that, like, mimetics as a science is not really, I, like, there is, a, there is a, there is a, like, real world study of mimetics, but it's very, very sure. limited, and it's not at all like what it is on, on the wiki. No. no. Um, <laughs> But there is that kind of real world phenomenon of copycat killers and copycat, you know. Yes, absolutely. You know, where you you know you see something and you get the idea to do it, and you know that's that's memes. You know, they, they influence behavior, mm -hmm. and so the idea of kind of just dialing that up a little bit, and it's where it becomes just goes from being just you have this idea to you have this idea and you are compelled to act on it is very interesting. Yeah, it's like you were saying earlier uh, when we were talking about the concepts and, and refining ideas. Like it's it's dialed up to like the logical conclusion of like why do people find true crime, especially about serial killers, so fascinating? And I don't even like most true crime, but when it comes to serial killers, I'm pretty intrigued. And you know, if you could be compelled to the point where like you not only even if you had never a murderous thought in your head would be compelled to then at least one recreation of the murderer's yeah. activities. And, it's pretty scary. And then this is just the, like, base launching point that they start from. Right. And, and like, it, it, this is, like, halfway to first base, and there is a whole rest of this article to go. And it's, right. It's awesome. And that's why I would just want to, like, set it up, and then, you know, hey, everyone go read 3256 because it's incredible. Yes. Um, my, some of my favorite part is the fact that they start breaking down who is susceptible to this meme uh, and over 90% of them are male lived in northeast and the northeast they're Caucasian they're brunette they're between 15 to 32 years old a significant amount have had sex, same sex intimate relationship and over half have only had sex three or less times <laughs> uh, and it's discovered because an FBI profiler who worked in the binder case uh, turned into one of those that were infected and recreated the crimes, and so that got the UIU interested in. You know, I believe, kind of brings in the SCP Foundation uh, as well, and they form a joint task force to contain all those susceptible. <laughs> Only it doesn't really work because at one point in 2009, roughly a year after this is discovered, there's like an outbreak, and it becomes like this widespread thing within this uh, this one regional area. I really think that. People should just go and read it because the actual progression of the investigation is like really intriguing, uh, and it does really just feel like Silence of the Lambs or an episode of Mindhunter. It just yes. keeps getting weirder and weirder yeah. and grosser yeah. and stranger and weirder, and you think it's it's like okay, is this gonna stop doing that? And it's not interested in stopping. It's gonna keep going. It's gonna keep getting worse. Like some of the stuff that we talked about with Dave, you fool. This also has an initial anomaly that is not the point yep yep <laughs> and it goes real off the wall like you said into the left field only it's really creepy to the point where as we hinted at earlier you know spiders are involved and it is in such a way that i'm not really particularly scared of spiders and this is a very unsettling article yes of course there's also cannibalism in it and you don't like that so yeah i kind of skipped over that we, we got a little bit of everything for everybody <laughs> <laughs> 
So another one by Netvoltake is SCP-4566, which is the mark of Xerox, which is a very funny title. Yes, I really like that title. And it's another third law. Uh, And this one is very much like we were talking about Series 3. It's just basically this idea that's just kind of thrown against the wall, described a little bit, and then you don't really need to go into it like in a massive uh, narrative way because it's just so valuable. Also worth noting, this was an article from uh, one of the Jamcons, so it's mm. it was oh, that makes sense. in the span of like 24, 48 hours or something. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it does feel yeah. like a Jamcon article. That makes sense. <laughs> Only a good. Well, one. that's because it is a Jamcon article. I think yeah, but... it won uh, the Jamcon for that day. Okay, uh, the reason. The reason you say only a good one is because we did enough jam cons that they sucked. The original ones are some good stuff. <laughs> yes. Well. Yes. I'm ne- I'm never gonna participate because I hate the idea of such a tight timeline. Well, for yeah. something. I nope, participated this year, uh, the, the last one, the last last year. It was good. You wrote. Some I was good I was I was under this weird, apparently completely incorrect impression that you were supposed to write something that would be impressive to have written in 24 hours, and everybody else wrote funny O fives and one. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, so, sorry, Harry. So, I'm sorry. It really hurt. I feel, yeah, anyway. That's what... GW, you read the one about the Titanic sister ship. That was... Yes, Jim, Jim. That, that, oh, I love that one. That's but what I want I, you to I, plug, like, right now. The, what is the number? People need to go read that. Oh, God. 5238. Yes, that one's really good. Uh, now, it, it appeals to me specifically because I, it has, like, digs in at the French and the English, and that's, like, <laughs> mm, delightful. It's hard to get both <laughs> angles at once. No, I, I'm not. I'm not really upset. Actually, some of my favorite articles came from Jam, JamCon. The Dr. Rockefeller article, article about Ugh, Dune yes. that we talked about was from yes. JamCon. Yes. I thought well, it would be funny uh, to pretend to be upset. There, there have been some good articles to come out of JamCon. Of but, course, of course. Uh, uh, yeah, I was if, just playing. If, if, if we've seen the last JamCon, I will not be that sad. Yes, I don't think most people would mind if it just never happened again. Or at I least just think we should have less contests. Yeah, few, fewer contests. That that's my. Uh, we're filling up these lists so fast that we're looking at like an XKCon like every year and a half. I don't need more contests in between. <laughs> Here is my radical proposal for the SCP Wiki: we freeze the the lists, and the only way to get a new slot is when something is deleted, and we <laughs> just sl- we slowly raise the deletion threshold no. until until <laughs> it is until at least one thing is being deleted each day. I hate that idea. <laughs> you are a real book burner, aren't you? Okay, so this one is a about, uh, hilariously, a Xerox brand photocopier, heavily modified for use as an anomalous weapon by a Seattle-based chaos insurgency cell. Modifications include, and the reason I wanted to read this is because they're fucking hilarious, certain internal electronic components were replaced with demonic circuitry. No explanation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, demonic, demonic circuitry. circuitry. You know. Thematological uh, sigils inscribed on the inside of the paper trays in an alloy of silver or copper. All glass components are replaced with obsidian. <laughs> magenta ink. <laughs> the magenta ink cartridge, just the magenta ink, was filled with human blood later determined to be an exact genetic match to Argentine novelist Jorge Luis Borges. <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, well, that's how you get his power. Oh, it's so fucking good. Uh, so the anomaly can be used to fictionalize an individual, adding them to a work of fiction, replacing the original character. And it's it's another one of these where there's like a table and it's different examples of people that have been quote unquote fictionalized. And they are 
people that have names of famous characters because they were thrown into this work of fiction and now that's how they exist and so they were subtract their name and history was then thrown into you know the count of monte cristo or whatever yeah Um, this is one of the ones that could this this could actually probably make even people who hate pataphysics happy because it's op it's it's pataphysics in reverse which is what makes it so clever it's not that you know an existing person went into fiction and met the characters who were there it's (laughs) the characters that you think are the existing characters used to be real people and got disposed of into fiction as as um as one of those people who's not a huge fan of pataphysics that is that is correct i mean this is that's kind of the difference between pataphysics and metafiction in my my view is that metafiction assumes that the fictional story you are writing is the top level narrative layer and you can't go up from that whereas pataphysics is like actually you can have the narrative interact with you the author even though you control everything and it's Right. There, there are good pataphysics articles, but I, I'm very picky about them. But if people enjoy it, then no skin off my back. That's what matters. Yeah, I, I, what I like the most about pataphysics, and I'm not a huge fan either, uh, but the thing I find so interesting about it is how it is completely compatible with anything that I write. Uh, for example, Harry and Placeholder did some really interesting pataphysics-related stuff for Inevitable, and it doesn't clash with anything I wrote that wasn't interested in pataphysics because it is such a malleable like concept on at least the way it's used on the wiki. Yes, but anyway. uh, I, I love this article too, though, because a, a, I mean the foundation ends up with it eventually because it has an SCP designation. But it right. starts out in the UIU's hands, and you get the sense that the UIU is way ahead of the foundation when it comes to like metafiction and things like this, and. Uh, this is referenced in a couple other places as well, too, but that the UIU specifically has, like, a metafictional crimes unit for dealing with stuff like this. Mm. Uh, and I, I had a, I had an idea related to this, um, which I guess I will share here, so I will have to write it later. But the <laughs> idea that maybe the, um, that, like, FBI copyright warning that you see at the start of, like, every film <laughs> is, is actually, like, an occult sigil to prevent, like, metafictional editing of works. That's really good. Oh, that would explain so much, because one thing that always bothers me about the FBI warning is that it uses the Adobe Photoshop crackler effect, and I wonder if that's also as, as like, it's like the most embarrassingly um, stock background effect, and I wonder if that's to uh, to also have some sort of mimetic effect against people using pirated <laughs> copies of Photoshop to make images, and not just them being incompetent. Yes, so there's that idea. Now I have to write it. Yeah, you do. That's fucking hilarious. But back to this one briefly, there are a couple of, there are a lot of really good examples. There's like five or six examples of people being fictionalized. I don't want to read them all because that's really the point of the article. But there's a couple of them that are really quite standout, I think. Uh, And not even the best ones because I want to save that for people reading it themselves. But there's one is UIU Special Agent Diego de la Vega, codenamed Fox, who's put into the curse of Capistrano uh, as a famous character uh, was he replaced this favorite character Lobo, which we've someone we've never heard of because our universe now is missing that character because this person has become part of it. And then my favorite one, which is at the very end, and this is after it's been contained, and so there's no way that this individual was used in the same way, or at least as far as we know, unless somebody in the foundation used it. On June seventh, two 
1996, Foundation researcher Dr. Julian Bashir, who had disappeared several days previously, was found in the television show Star Trek Deep Space Nine, replacing the character Dr. Augustine Fadil. Investigations into possible chaos and surgery involvement into Dr. Bashir's fictionalization are ongoing. I love that. It makes so much sense to me because, I mean, Deep Space Nine is populated entirely by actors, except for Citadel Fadil, who I swear to God is no actor. So he definitely is a fictionalized Foundation character. He's a good but, uh, actor. He's been in I great have, movies. Yeah, not in that love, show he's not, though. Not the beginning. I, I oh. love this idea, too, of, like, taking your enemies and inserting them into a work of fiction and, like, yeah, tracking really them fun. there. You're literally trivializing yeah. them. By by yeah. fictionalization, you are trivializing this the enemy combatant or whatever because now they can literally have no effect on you. I love it. Yeah. It's like the craziest version of, of, of giving somebody uh, concrete shoes. Just, like, <laughs> yeah. just Xerox you into a book instead. <laughs> That's <laughs> uh, so much fun. Yeah, and there's a great um, tale uh, that is connected to this as well, oh, yes. too. Which is, uh, what is it? Barrels of Prose and... Yes. I uh, can't remember that second. Slugs of Lead, something like that? Yeah, Barrels of Prose and Slugs of Lead. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is about a UIU metafiction agent fighting a chaos insurgency metafiction author. And <laughs> it's great. Sounds yeah, it's great. really good. I read it and then thought it was a little complicated to like try and summarize on the podcast, so I yeah. didn't include it. But yes, people should go and read it. Yes, go read it. Uh, also a JamCon article as well, too. So. What? It was? Yeah, yeah but the two of them together. Uh, I, I Yeah, because Chewbacca wrote the Barrels of Prose, I believe. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, and then Nat wrote uh, The Mark of Xerox, right. I believe. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it was Nat take. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. Okay, and then one of the last ones we'll go in depth on is Black Line by It's Denali, who is uh, a newer writer, uh, and I, I honestly feel like underrated. Uh, they they have written a lot of weird, interesting stuff. Like they did one that was like about a Taco Bell on the moon. Which <laughs> I fucking love that article. They're and everywhere. Then they should be because they're delicious. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, this is SCP five zero eight two, and it's called The Black Line. And the Cronbrox has made clear that any and all U.S. government employees that are authorized are to be given access to this document, which right off the bat is like, wait a minute, we're not keeping the secret from the government? No, no. If they ask and they're authorized, we got to show it to them. Because SCP-5082 is a highly complex thaumaturgical ritual that, when properly executed, grants a target human subject the ability to manipulate aspects of nearby universes as well as move between them. And uh, the ritual's been completed five times throughout history, but in, like, different universes, and it kind of gives a, uh, a timeline of these different ones. But the only one that really matters for the article uh, is one done by a clandestine U.S. government team calling themselves Blackline. And Project Blackline functioned as a collaborative effort between the United several United States internal departments, including Department of Energy, Defense, and the Unusual Incidents Unit. So this is an interesting break from the rest of the articles we've talked about, because not only are the UIU not useless in this and also not the good guys they're part of this fairly heinous event uh, like the fbi often yes. was yes <laughs> i also love that the department of energy is involved because we, we, <laughs> yeah. they, they like they sound very innocuous and no one really ever talks about it but like no they are the nuclear weapons department like that is yeah. basically all they do is civilian control of nuclear weapons and running all of the like national labs that do nuclear weapons research yeah, they're they are actually like significantly influential. It's just all behind the scenes. Yeah, um, and I mean they're also you know got their hands in every power production facility in the country, 
you know, and also significant in terms of like regulations involving, you know, like pollution yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. So now they are yeah. pretty significant. But, yeah, but the the big one is the nuclear nuclear stuff. But yes, of know, course. Yeah, you know, it's Department of Energy, but nobody ever asks what kind of energy. <laughs> right, it's all it's a them. euphemism. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so Crater Lake National Park was used as the site, and the ritual was successful. But that individual is like out of control and causes like rips in space time before it's stabilized. Uh, and the rest of the article is about containing the individual and the dangers. We don't need to go into it because that is actually the interesting part of the article. But the setup is really fun as an interesting like palate cleanser from the way that most of the UIU is portrayed as like such the good guys because here they're like working security for this you know top level like black budget like government program that goes very wrong yeah like to be clear they are they are trying to get a person who can influence um, reality through various realities and they are doing this because they're scared of Iraq like right. <laughs> this is well, not a this of, was not well, a Iran was one of the well, it's nine eleven. So it's nine eleven. Yeah. So yeah. they're scared of of the entirety of the Middle East, basically. Yeah. So this project was Greek. Yeah. yeah it's well. America. It's America in two thousand and one. They're terrified of everything that is. And this America. is where I and lose, America. This is where I lose all interest because in reality the government wasn't afraid of anyone during after nine eleven. They just used that as an excuse to extend their federal yes. powers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Every, oh gosh. Most most of our listeners will be. Uh, too young to remember this and that that is frightening to me but do you do you remember when we were like on the verge of going to war with france because they wouldn't like we get were involved not. In, in we our were not war. on the verge of going to war okay with but we, we, it was it was pretty bad for a while like, it was it was bad in u.s media yeah uh, the french were like fries. uh whatever yeah freedom fries god uh, Ugh. But, yeah the french were like hey what the heck are you guys doing and we're like you have betrayed us <laughs> French are like, uh, chill the fuck out. Yeah, <laughs> the whole country just went crazy for a bit. Yeah, and and everyone had U.S. flags on their cars. I mean, not me, but and those immediately got replaced after you know a year or so with like flags of local sports teams because they didn't <laughs> take the brackets off, but they kept the flag. <laughs> yep. Anyway, I uh, wanted to quickly recommend two articles. One of them is mine. So, but they interestingly these articles were not written uh, together. I didn't ever talk to Rounder House about it, and yet we've both like commented to each other how weirdly similar they are in some ways because they're both about a UIU investigation into an, uh, an anomalous cult. Uh, one of them for Rounder House, which is an excellent article, SCP-5982, and then my article, which is SCP-5512. And both of them were treated as, at least an attempt... Uh, you know, at least I, I think that that's what Roundhouse was doing, because certainly that's what the effect is, is an attempt to show a very competent uh, UIU investigation into, like, a cult in the way that, like, the FBI, you know, dealt with, like, Waco or, or other places yeah. like that, only more effectively. Um, and then watching it all kind of go to shit. But not because the UIU is incompetent, but because what they're dealing with is, you know, insane. Yeah, the, the FBI definitely botched Waco a little bit. Yes, yes, but I just bit, mean, Just a little bit. Just a wee well, bit. Well, uh, uh, while we're plugging along, can I plug one too? Yeah. I'm just going to read the description very quickly and then the name. This is one that's by Calibold. It's UIU. It's it's a EIEIO file. Um, it's UIU file 2001-023. It's by Calibold. Summary. 
Entity is an immense disembodied eyeball, capable of independent motion and sapient thought, was summoned by writer Alan Moore using occult magic for unknown purposes. <laughs> Entity was separated from and is currently attempting to meet Alan Moore. Ca- case file name, Moore then meets the eye. I forgot all about this article. It's so good. It's very funny. Of course, Alan Moore is a wizard, both in fiction and in real life. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's so... I mean, you can literally find quotes by that man about communing with nature by going into the forest and, like, talking with Merlin. Dude, were you stoned when you said that? On the record? Like, what the fuck? His beard is magic. Yeah, no, anyone with a beard like that is a powerful wizard. (laughs) Anyone with a beard like that needs to fucking trim it. It looks real bad. (laughs) I love Alan Moore, and that shit is gross yeah. looking. <laughs> uh, it's the source of his power, like Samson. There you go. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, very briefly, because I feel like we're, we're, we are coming up on two hours. GW, if you want to just very briefly throw out a rundown of what the Paramax dossier is. Okay, so this is a this is a more recent one, although it's an idea that I've had literally since like 2016, 2017. A good long while, and it's mentioned at the end of uh, Moving Pictures, which is part of the Unusual Investigations series that we've mentioned, but haven't actually explained what that is, but we after this. Um, the Par- so Paramax, uh, that is short for Un- uh, United States Penitentiary Par- Paranormal ADX, uh, and it is a supermax prison for paracriminals that is located inside a little pocket dimension that is completely cut off from the rest of the universe and is only accessible via magic and there's this whole series there's like this whole series of protocols and stuff that they need to do enact just to get back and forth between the prison and baseline but it is basically the idea of like okay so the uiu polices paranormal crime what do they do with the criminals where do they go what happens to them and how do they contain them and the so the realization was okay there is definitely a supermax prison for for paracriminals and supervillains and such <laughs> and this is what it is and so i went into this article basically um trying there's like two different like threads that i'm trying to follow one is to make it interesting and fun to read and then the other is also to be like also like look how competent these guys are um so there's you know the history of the wardens and stuff and there's some really great tidbits in there that i like um the the one warden who uh, abruptly retires to become a, uh, a monk <laughs> it, was, it was that's a good one uh and then it has a short list of some notable inmates and then there is a, a um an open collab page supplement that's attached as well too where people are free to add their own prisoners but um let me just uh pull open Paramac- the Paramax one real quick so I can sure. give you give you an idea of the kinds of people that are contained inside this uh, this prison. Uh, we have, of course, we have uh, Cordweiss, who is a relatively significant character in Third Law and, you know, ba- Nazi war criminal, basically, right? So you've got, you know, this really powerful Nazi wizard who's in prison there. Uh, you have Carl Reiter, a.k.a. Dr. Deuterium, who is uh, there because he held the UN General Assembly hostage with a paranuclear device. Um, so you've got, like, actual supervillains. James Earl Carter Jr., clone. Uh, and then... <laughs> no, 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 no additional information there. Just... just yeah, 
clone of, clone of Jimmy Carter. Grew him in the uh, peanut farm. Just I like yeah. the idea of the parentheses clone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you've got, um, gosh, I'm going to say this wrong. Yeshua Automatovic Kalishnikov, who is a, uh, a, a alleged second coming of Christ uh, and also is like a Marxist Leninist. Uh, <laughs> well, get, that man out of, get that man out of prison. Uh, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is actually a character that Chewbacca came up with and graciously allowed me to include here. And there's there's some more like that as well too. And of course there's the the uh, the supplement list, which you know has you know like they have Coyote in there um, for uh, contempt of court of all things. <laughs> um, Harry, you'll you'll you, you'd like this one too. They have an Ada Nack, who is the conceptual antithesis of Canada. Uh, and a radical Prince Edward Island separatist who is there because the Canadian government can't hold him because he's immune to Canada. So they're, they're like, here, you take him. Oh, immune so, to Canada. That's yeah, so I like that. There's, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there that uh, I, I've added, that other people have added, you know, and that, that co-op list is open to everybody. So if people want to add stuff to it, uh, I go through and like, curate stuff and if there's like an entry that gets added that i think is a good idea but maybe a little bit weak uh i, I will do an edit pass on it but it is you know it is an open lock uh and then the, the other one uh that is on here in the outline if i see uh is when parallel lines diverge yeah. and um this is um i know harry's talked about pnm so or the phoenix and nightingale the magpies so i won't go into it in more detail but this is the sort of interquill the connecting point between PNM and unusual investigations and it follows uh, Florence after she leaves the foundation and jo- joins the UIU um, and there's actually two stories going on because this is a collab with uh, Conwell that I did uh, and the, the one thread is following Florence in like the 90s uh, and then the other thread is following uh, Sasha Merlo, uh, one of Con- Conwell's characters in the early 2000s and they Merlot ends up going from the UIU to joining the foundation and she's like working with Florence at the time and they have this kind of mentor-mentee relationship and it sort of parallels Florence's arc in the 90s where she's you know slowly acclimating into the UIU uh, and it's a fun tale I had a lot of fun writing it and uh, Conwell is a fantastic author and incredibly patient because <laughs> this um this is actually where PM came from uh it metastasized out of my half of this collab tale and so conwell waited like three months while i wrote this thirty thousand word (laughs) series and i was like okay and now i have to write my half of the collab tale collab tale still um but uh yeah and this um sort serves as sort of a launching point for uh merlo's arc and those twisted pines which is also very good and uh Mm. it interweaves with third law in a lot of places especially when it comes to the uiu but uh yeah if you want to go read like if you want to go read about Sasha Merlot hunting Vincent Anderson for like 20 years and having this uh, Ahabian vengeance quest, uh, it's, it's very, very good. Um, but yeah, and, you, uh, this is the character that I called out, though, on previous episodes in which I need more of because I love Florence. I think she's... Yes. I think Flo is incredible. Yes, there will be there'll, there'll be more, more stuff. Ha, you all heard it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this stuff playing in the works. Um, nice. And then, since I mentioned it uh, both times, Unusual Investigations, which is my like ongoing meta series, um, the, because they, like it, it's a s- series of short 
duologies and trilogies. Uh, right now there's three things in it. Uh, there's the Three Portland's Bomber arc, the Quid Pro Quo duology, and the uh, Body Electric duology. And basically it follows the unusual investigations of uh, Kenneth Spencer and Robin Thorne. Robin is the child of Florence Thorne, uh, non-binary, so uh, not, no, uh, it, there's, yeah, not, not a, just child is the word there. Right. <laughs> Term, terminology gets a little bit difficult sometimes, but uh, I, I do my best. <clears throat> and um, ba- basically, they are two UIU agents who are based in Three Portlands. Uh, Thorne is a wizard, but uh, not a super powerful one. They uh, just do forensic thaumatology. Is what I refer to. Refer to I it love as. that. I love that. And so it's uh, really it's, it tracks them as they get involved in different uh, shenanigans in, in three ports. So, like the first trilogy is them dealing with a mimetic bomb threat that shows up in the middle of Portland, and the foundation gets involved, and they end up chasing the, the person responsible all the way, you know, to this museum outside of space, and then. Uh, you know, you have Thorne getting involved in Anders- uh, Merlo's grudge against Anderson and, uh, you know, help- helping out there. And then the Body Electric is the most recent one, and that is the duology that the uh, quote at the very beginning about the UIU came from. Um, and that is the, uh, that actually parallels Connell's Ostringer's tale, and it's the UIU's perspective on those events, because in Ostringer's, a U.S. congressman gets shot in the head and is revealed to be a robot, and we don't really see, we we don't really see any of the like reaction to that. We just see the foundation and their scheme to kidnap Vincent Anderson out of the middle of Three Portlands. Um, but so I was like, you know, and a long time ago I had this idea, and this has been in the works for a long time, and I'm glad to have finally gotten it up. But uh, we see the UIU basically being like, okay, someone replaced a congressman with a robot. That is like, high crimes and treason territory. We're pretty sure it was Anderson. We need to find a way to link him to it and get an arrest warrant for him. And they end up finally, after years and years and years, having enough to prove that Anderson is involved in these heinous crimes against democracy. They get the arrest warrant, and he's not there because the foundation have gotten worse. (laughs) (laughs) So, it's, um... Yes. So, you know, I mean, in general, I mean, the reason we had GW on is because... Uh, you know, I really like his stuff, and and Harry does as well. And we yep. basically recommend all of it. So all those articles, uh, all the the stuff with the unusual investigations, which you know is a pretty nice chunk of, of content. People should go and read. Absolutely, but we're, we're getting we're getting down yes. to the wire here. So uh, very briefly, uh, Guari sent in an email um, and just basically said that they didn't really have uh, much to say about the FBI UIU because they practically had only read a few tales in their GOI formats, which more people off-site should read. Uh, though, ironically, they say, though quite appropriately, I've recently started to watch the X-Files. So, <laughs> full circle. Uh, a real, real full circle through line here. Uh, okay, so the show's Twitter is at S-I-M-C-R-E at my twitter is at g-r-i-g-o-r-i-k-a-r-p-i-n that's amazing you, you every time it sounds more natural when you say your own name i'm at harry blank scp i know i am uh, at mt bade that's b-a-d uh, that's m-t-b-a-d-e oh, anyways um oh also because my uh my uh, co-authors would kill me if i didn't do it if i forgot to do it uh, uh, the Depcon series. We've been uh, we've been putting up a bunch of new third law articles, which are 
some of the craziest stuff I've written. Um, it's been fifthism. Yeah, it's about fifthism. Uh, topical since you guys were talking about it last mm-hmm. week, but um, uh, it's been summarized as uh, lesbians go to space to beat up a, a fifthist Elon Musk. Uh, that's <laughs> not that's not wrong, but there's also a starship powered entirely by cake and i just posted a thing earlier today um scp 6523 which uh i spent many hours in blender making fancy renders for it and there's an animated gif and it's it's about (laughs) there's a lot of stuff in there um (laughs) including combat epistemology um whatever that is (laughs) yeah Uh, so definitely go and look at what what's your team name uh, the Ruse du Champ memori- Memorial Contest Team Memorial Contest Team. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, because our, la- our last team was the Ruse du Champ Memorial Contest Team. Of course. So. It's, it's uh, okay. I thought it was Ruiz. It's not Ruiz? I, 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 I have no idea how it's pronounced. <laughs> well, you see, I'm Canadian, so I can tell you that I'm from Ontario and I have no further insight into how it's pronounced compared to you. Well, well wouldn't you say it like Ruzed? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Quebecois pronunciation is yeah don't 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 say well no no i no, i that, that was a, that was a zz joke oh yeah uh you guys say the letter wrong and we say Z. <laughs> yes um anyway uh well seeing as how you brought it up harry and i are both on a team with ip uh and we also are doing stuff for the D- department con which is the department of procurement and liquidations we've got three articles yes. up Yes, I'm very very excited <clears throat> to read those. I, I haven't looked at them yet because well, early days yet. I know they're going to be really good, and I kind of want to put it off as a like palate cleanser. <laughs> <laughs> they're really fun. Ip is the one that came up with the original idea, and it's basically about a department who handles in the foundation who handles containment through like economic means, whether that's buying items or like in my case doing corporate takeovers. And it's it's really a lot of fun. I'm really excited about the stuff we've been doing. There's three articles I, out so far. That sounds like it appeals directly to my interests. I, I'm not shocked because I feel like we have a lot of stuff in common. <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh, I think we're going to end it there uh, and uh, have a good time. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, covering something. I don't know. We'll figure it out later. Yes. And thanks for joining us, GW. Yes, thank you yes, for having thank me you on. So much. Yeah, we'll I, definitely I, have I, to have I, you on when we do eventually do canons we'll do third law yeah yeah um also prometheus labs which is something else i've been deeply involved in um, oh that's okay yeah, yeah. There's, yeah there's, there's a lot of stuff that i know a lot about and i would love to come on and talk about it some more uh, it was really a lot great. of fun so yeah it, yeah yeah absolutely yes. okay see you guys next time Bye. later